Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Schreckbein. This is our special Halloween show. Hey. Halloween. Spooky. Yeah, and it's so... Also Go Sam ahead. Hain, and then after that's going to be Day of the Dead, Day Los Muertos for everybody. I always feel like Halloween is kind of like the uh, precursor to the more important holiday. All Hallows' Eve. My birthday. It's the birthday. <laughs> about yeah, about yeah. two weeks after Halloween. You've got a birthday, and then so we've got some spooky autumn birthdays yeah like i say every week please give us a review follow us on social media give us some feedback on the show everything that we do on the show is free we love to get the participation from all of our book club members so give us a shout out i also want to plug craig mcknight and the raffle goodness that is going to be going on soon at mike Mignola's art on facebook if you're not already following that page you want to check that out there's going to be some amazing prizes some original art and some really cool things I can't say a lot right now, but we'll probably have a special episode. I'm going to have Craig McKnight on, and we'll talk more about it right before the raffle comes out. Oh, cool. cool. When does that raffle start? November 15th. Yeah, and so keep an eye on that for November 15th. I wanted to talk about this Twitter post. On Twitter, there was this guy, Ben Marshall, and he posted about how his local comic book store put one of those free 25th anniversary Seat of Destructions in his box just randomly. Okay. And then oh, now, yeah. yeah this, and, this is a great great story yeah and so now he's all into the mignola verse and he posted a picture with all the trades and the whole library and everything so just in that one issue it hooked him into the whole universe reading everything and so he shouted out mark tweedell katie o'brien mignola and dark horse and then mark responded and then he tagged us in his response so i thought that was really nice yeah so we kind of became part of that thread too and Mark Tweedell said, in the spirit of this, I just want to give a shout out to Tim Bolton and Case Lajerwai, who were my guides to the Hellboy Aww. universe when I started reading. And yeah, and yeah. we just had the year anniversary of right. Case passing away. So yeah, you know, raise wow. your glass. Uh, here's to Case for this year. And, you know, it made me think about, too, I, I don't say it enough, but I just want to thank everyone who likes, shares us, passes along our podcast to others. You know, uh, Jason Abaddon is always sending me cool stuff on Instagram, and I talk to a lot of you guys all the time, like Matt, Nathaniel Green, he was trying to get us some Hellboy beer, and I was like, please don't get in trouble trying to send us yeah, beer, but that's really nice. <laughs> that is pretty awesome, though. <laughs> I talked to Craig McKnight and Ryan Yule on the regular. I was talking to Taylor Dodderman earlier today, so yeah, I just want to thank everybody who puts together the whole family of the book club. Book club members. Yeah. Aw. You checked out that thread, too, right? There was more to it. I think that guy, Ben Marshall, talked a little bit more, right, Matt? I was just amazed at the way he read the very first Hellboy issue ever. Because it was, it was like, number one, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And then, like, posted a picture of, I mean, he's got everything. Yes, complete like, library. I read some Hellboy early on and was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> and And I was thinking, wow, what if I had read it now? Right. When there's all this stuff you can go out and acquire, sure, right? Sure. Like immediately. <laughs> like he can go out and get all this stuff right now all at once if he wanted to. I, I just imagine the excitement 
like every time he picked up a new book, he was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've still got like five or six different like omnibuses <laughs> to get to. It'd wow. Be so cool. Yeah. No, when you say complete, like, meaning like Hellboy, BPRD, Witchfinder, everything? Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything. Nice. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and so I was talking to Taylor Dodderman, and he was saying that he's putting together a list of whenever anyone meets a ghost. We've been talking okay. about that a lot. Right, so right. That Good. was really cool. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. He was saying it turns out there's a... yeah work for us. Yeah, that's what I told him. I said, thanks for the research assist. He says... It turns out there's a lot more than I originally accounted for. This list is going to be very comprehensive with date specific stories and cool. maybe even some pictures. All right. Hey. Yeah. Great. So he said nice. he'll let us know when he gets around to that. Taylor Dodderman, book club member. Yeah. <laughs> and Nathaniel Green also messaged me a while about his fan fiction. Remember, uh, we talked about that he said he was thinking about doing that. Do yeah. it. He said, of course, I don't mean to bog you down with it, but my poor wife and Matt Strackbine have taken the brunt of my nerdery, and now I must <laughs> inflict some on you. All right. Do it. So I guess you've been involved in some of the conversations too, Matt? Yeah, he has... I won't go into detail, but he has a great idea. Okay. I'm amazed it hasn't been done already. So he's weaving in his own historical fiction stuff and all nice. that kind Sounds of pretty awesome. Sounds really cool, yeah. So he gave me the idea, and I was like, and make it a pitch. Yeah. Like, really flesh this out. Like, give, it, give me the beginning, middle, and end. Like, tell me everything. And I guess he had listened to a podcast episode I did on my podcast talking about somebody who's thought they had a great idea for a comic book 10 minutes later i'm like all right i'm falling asleep right right give me a pitch like condense it to a sentence or two and right nathaniel came back with that and it was solid and i was like wow that sounds really really good it does sound really <laughs> and how good. rare is that that you're like oh, i have a cool idea and then you how often do you actually put in the work to really do that so that's great that's really that's mm -hmm. really good to hear yeah and um that was a really good episode that's called juxtaposition right on your podcast matt yeah that episode was called juxtaposition which is one of my favorite words of all time mm -hmm. and you can hear it on the letter hack podcast on podbean.com awesome and yeah, so thanks again for sticking with us. We had some shorter episodes the last couple of weeks, and so the episode links may vary as we go forward. You know, we've got the holidays coming up and all this kind of stuff, and you know, I'm sure we're all going to have our own out-of-town obligations and stuff, so we may have some shorter episodes coming forward, but I think that goes really well, and everyone's been really responsive about it. So again, thanks a lot for your continued listenership. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Story, we talk about it. You hate them guys, us, and it's a book club. Get out, trade some floppy. We got a hey, hey you I, damn. I have a hey, you damn guys. Okay, oh, all right, go ahead. The last one, you know, how we were talking about when we're reading it, we try and do research, we try and connect different story threads, and then inevitably, as soon as the podcast is over. We're like face palming. Oh, oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> I had that happen like the next day. Um, since we were talking about Steel Kilt, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went back and read. There's this great graphic novel adaptation of Moby Dick, and it's by. Uh, oh, I'm gonna ruin the name because it's French. Christophe Chabot. Okay. I think it. It's amazing. But then I realized this. Like I'm on the first page, and I was like, Steel Kilt. Oh yeah, Starbucks. That's right. what they were, because right. Starbuck is another character yes. from Moby Dick. That's great. Oh, wow. No, that's fantastic. That's And that's I was awesome. like, I should have thought of that. <laughs> that's so awesome. that was them. That's very like, cute. Yeah. A, yeah, so that was them being like, 
Ah, uh, we're Starbucks. Right, yeah. Yeah. Starbucks. Yeah. No, that's great. That's awesome. No, th- that is great. And th- is one of our listeners actually threw that in too. When I, when I get to it, oh, I'll, really? I'll shout him out. But somebody actually wrote in with oh, that cool. same bit of feedback. So that's awesome. Great. We had a Hey You Damn Guys from Chris Egan. Book club member. Awesome. He said, Hey, John, Aubrey, Danielle, and Matt. I wanted to send you my first Hey You Damn Guys outside of Instagram. He's at Tales from the Chris on Instagram. I just got to meet Seba Fumara at New York City Comic Con. Nice. Wow. I did posts about this in the Mike Mignola Facebook group. What I forgot to mention is we discussed the end of Devil You Know, and he asked my thoughts on it. And so we're not going to spoil any of that. Chris was shocked to learn that Seba hasn't even read it yet. Oh, wow. Oh, what? He says he doesn't want to admit it's over. I think that while most fans can appreciate a series that knows when to end, it is tough to know that the story has come and gone. I definitely understand how he feels, and the one-shots in the miniseries that have been released in the last few months have kept me happy, and I can revisit the entire series at any time. It was great to meet another creator who's worked in the Mignolaverse who is missing it as much as any fan. We chatted about all things Hellboy BPRD, and he was wonderful to meet. Funny, humble, and ready to geek out. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting that, uh, you know, even someone uh-huh. who's involved in the Mignolaverse is like, oh, I don't want to read that yet. I don't want to go yeah. through that yet, which right. I thought was interesting. And he also said, before I take up this entire segment with an overly long email, three things from the last two episodes. One, I cracked up every time you put that echo effect on Danielle. <laughs> uh, Number two, like Danielle, I too learned the particular phrase from Independence Day and only ever hear it in my head as spoken by the <laughs> late, great James Rebhorn. Yes, Two yes. words, Mr. President. Plausible, Plausible deniability. deniability. Yes, man. <laughs> and he said, three pickles, anything but sweet. Though, like Matt, I can get on board with anything spicy, so I would maybe try those sweet, spicy pickles. (laughs) Love the show. Always a highlight during the work week. Kindest regards, Chris Egan. And then he put in parentheses, book club member. (laughs) Cool. Nice. Chris Egan, book club member. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from William Thunholm. He said, I'm officially caught up when it comes to Hellboy, Abe Sapien, the BPRD, and last but not least, the Hellboy Book Club podcast. It's been a wild ride. The stories are amazing, and they always get better with the book club. I look forward to continuing the journey with you guys. I have too much thoughts and reactions to tell in one email without it sounding like O'Donnell wrote it, so I would just choose a couple of things to say today. I like Yosef. Most importantly, I like that he is honest. In most comics, the Russian government agency director would be friendly at first, but then have a very evil, very secret plan. Mm. But Yosef is honest with the BPRD about wanting to help them. He's also honest about the horrible murders he commits. We see what we get with him, and I like it. Oh, and when it comes to casting the fairy Ed Gray, I'd go with Peter Capaldi. Okay. Yeah, that's oh. pretty good. good yeah, choice. Sure. And he said, lastly, I made a quick sketch of a couple characters you have talked about that we haven't actually seen. Hope you like them. And so I'll share them. So he drew the lobster's daughter awesome. character. Nice. And then he uh-huh. also drew that um, yes. snake sapien. The, oh, the snake man. sapien. <laughs> the, yes! super, <laughs> the super cool brother of Abe sapien or whatever. So oh. what are they, there's a, what do they call that when it's uh, legacy? Legacy, legacy character. Legacy yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I like yeah, that. Yeah, so I'll post those on, on our social media so y'all can check those out. They're Perfect. pretty humorous. Perfect, great. I'm excited. I think he actually hit right on the head with Joseph about why I was uneasy about him at first. Because, you know, the Russian characters usually are yeah. written in a certain sort of way. Well, I think from an American perspective, too, we're sure. so used yeah. to like Russian characters being portrayed as oh, sneaky yeah. spies yeah. because of all the Cold War shit. 
Oh yeah, and then I I mean I grew up like in the eighties and that was like oh, absolutely. super hardcore and Reaganism and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. But yeah, Joseph turns out to be like one of the coolest characters. I mean, yeah. He does some like fucking like shady ass shit. But he's all like, So I just did some shady ass <laughs> yeah. shit, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I have another thing that this is totally non sequitur and off topic, but I've been thinking about like movies from your childhood where that's the only thing now that you can reference in your mind. Oh, yeah, your yeah. It's totally broken by <laughs> whatever media you consumed. Uh, taking off sunglasses. <laughs> he already knows where I'm going with this. So Jurassic Park, when Laura Dern takes off those sunglasses when she first sees the dinosaur, they're rolling up in those Jeeps. And they all have their little sunglasses moment. Like Sam Neill has his own little fumbly sunglasses Right, moment. right. Yeah. But like when I take off sunglasses now, anytime I take them. I think about Laura Dern. How she, gra- she grabs, grabs him with her whole hand, yeah. right? Yeah. And Sam Neill just kind of fumbles him off his yeah. face. And anyway, and then, like, I think Goldblum didn't even, he just kind of was like, I don't remember. He didn't Goldblum's. even take his shades off at all. He was just I looking. He, he wore him the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. like, he, ta- he takes his glasses off at some point to look at dinosaur shit, but then, no. But so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Laura Dern taking the sunglasses off, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a phrase. Right. But it is something that I it's think about. a movie about, reference yeah. in your head. Just an unusual. <laughs> I know that feeling. I sometimes walk through doors like, I, like I'm in a movie. Okay. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Sliding doors. Is it mutant powers like like X-Men oh, yeah, style or are you thinking Jedi? It depends on what day it is. Depends. Okay. Right on. Oh, Did no, we no, already no. address but, this? But, we might have already talked but about it, this. But it's not just sliding doors. I mean, there's also like, you know, double doors. Right, right, know, right. Oh, for sure. Double doors. You got to open both of them. Yeah. At the same time, for <laughs> sure. And especially if you're wearing a trench coat, which I'm not, but you know. I don't wear trench coats on principle, <laughs> but I will say going through a double door is fantastic feeling. And if oh, you yeah. don't open both of them, it's just a missed opportunity. Oh, Totally. Like, why wouldn't you? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> this leads me into my own little segue. So one thing that I like to do, and you can do out there, everyone, if you're driving around, if you come to like a four-way stop yeah. and you want to let the other person go oh, yeah. through, yeah. I reach out. Instead of waving them through, I reach out like I'm Magneto pulling their car. Yeah. And, and they, and <laughs> they, they always come. go. They come, yeah, every single time. It always works. I have I have seen this in action so, after so you time, told this to me. Next time, instead of waving someone through the intersection, just reach out your hand like you're Magneto pulling their car, and they will work. You'll feel awesome. <laughs> yes, because you know what? What doesn't usually get as strong of a response is I used to do the the neo like hold oh, your hand right. out and yeah. kind of gesture. For, what is that? You kind of fold your fingers inward you have towards your palm, your palm. palm yeah. facing upward, and yeah, your, yeah. It's with like, the magneto it's like the with here. the the palm downwards, where you're reaching out like you're yes. trying to pull the car every time. Every time, instant, <laughs> instant reaction. So Very yeah, gratifying. Yeah. So you know the person in the other car is like, I don't know. The car just started moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Brendan Cahill, and it goes perfectly with the segue that we just had. He said, this is a thank you for the podcast, which has been a real pleasure to find while rereading the Hellboy books. I've been reading them in Yolaverse since the first Del Toro movie came out. By 2015, they were almost the last serial comics I was buying. Due to the normal life distractions, I'd fallen behind a few trades when they suddenly announced the end of the whole BPRD series. To refresh myself, I decided to reread not just BPRD, but every Mignolaverse book to get the full picture and do it in chronological story order. So last November, I started reading all the Witchfinder and Lobster Johnson. It was a fun way to go through it, and it was especially satisfying to see how well the pre-Seed of Destruction stories all flow together without mostly feeling like they're compromising themselves to fit into continuity, even though they were worked on by so many people over years and decades apart. At some point, I came across a link to your podcast and tried episode 34, your first Witchfinder one. 
I was confused by many things, but also thought it was a good listen. Once I reached Hellboy's short story period, I jumped in and started catching up with you guys, and I'm very grateful for the work you're doing. Your conversations and feedback with the book club have really enriched the whole story and brought up a lot of stuff about the art process, the mythology, and real-world references I would have never gotten on my own. The only criticism I have about the early episodes is that you would sometimes cut short an interesting discussion and apologize for going off on a tangent. (laughs) As time went on, you guys seem to recognize that those tangents are the good stuff. How the stories remind you of your own lives and ideas and things you love. I think these books are worth talking about because under all the excellent horror fantasy action scenes, there is always a current about real human fears and hopes. Thanks for giving them that kind of attention, guys. Glad to be on board. Brendan. Aw, Brendan Cahill. That's great. Book club member. And you you got a special segue just for you oh yeah there you go (laughs) that was for you this one's for you sure and he had an interesting ps he said maybe i could just pass it along to matt but i think that we could just talk about it so on our hellboy and hell episode matt you talked about your theory about the different ghosts and then how they related to those different rivers remember Mm -hmm. oh right Mm -hmm. and so he said After our last discussion on Mysteries of Unland, you guys think the mysterious hooded figure haunting Ed Gray is his own future self. After hearing Matt's theory, I'm convinced it's a manifestation of the river Archeron, giving Gray a warning of his future. It looks similar to those characters. That's the story when we find out Gray was left in pieces on the banks of Archeron. And for God's sake, it's got Archeron written in flaming letters on its forehead. (laughs) I know that Matt thought that Archeron was the third and final ghost to meet Hellboy, but I'd suggest given that it shows Hellboy a vision of his birth by summoning up a huge ball of fire, that it's the river Phlegethon. You gotta leave all that in there, by the way. Meaning flame or of fire. Phlegethon, and I'm probably saying that wrong, is usually described as a river of fire or boiling blood. According to my googling, Dante's Inferno describes it as a river of blood that boils souls, which are lowered to the depths of the river determined by the level of violence they caused in life. This is maybe a bit of a stretch, but if Hellboy's dad's castle is somewhere on the banks of Phlegethon and all those souls bobbing around, maybe this explains why the interior decorating aesthetic leans so heavily on giant fishing hooks <laughs> on chains. <laughs> yeah, so that was oh. really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, then, and, and right why would the hooded version of Grey be following himself? Sure, right? That right. doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. yeah. Huh. But it kind of goes along with your theory. I thought it was a nice uh, compliment yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. We had some feedback on BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Devil's Wings. Mark Tweedell said, you probably noticed a lot of Abe Sapien lately. That's because Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible, unfold at a very different pace than BPRD, Hell on Earth. The Garden 1 to the beginning of A Darkness So Great was only two weeks for Abe, but for readers it was six months. This is partially why it feels (laughs) like Strobel has been traveling for so long. I really loved how the present day scenes of BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Devil's Wings focused on the women of the Bureau. Plus, you know, I love to get a new Kate story. Knowing how much I love Kate Corrigan, Lawrence Campbell gave me this page as a gift. And it's that page where Kate is like, yeah, it's that page from the Devil's Wings where Kate's like, I want to hear that story. And it has that little image at the end of of the old school team. Yeah. So that was really awesome. Yeah. Gave it to him? Uh, Yeah. That's what he said. Dude, that's awesome. awesome. Well deserved in my opinion. Right. We also had some feedback on BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Broken Equation. Mark Tweedell said, back in the old DeviantArt days, 
I used to follow Joe Querio and repost his art on the Hellboy forum. Deviant art, wow. I got a message from Joe Querio when he was hired to draw some Hellboy Universe stories, and he thanked me, telling me that it was my post that has brought his work to Mignola and Allie's attention. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's wow, great. Man. He says... Wow. This is why when you repost art, always credit the artist. Yeah. Nice. Seriously. If you can share or retweet, that's just directly, that's great. But if you absolutely must repost, just make sure like yeah. first and foremost, front and center is the name. Maybe even like a link, a way to get to them. They're at their social media, like right. whatever. So yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. And I've also learned through some trial and error that you need to credit the writer too, even if you're just posting a picture from a story that maybe even has no dialogue. Whoever because worked they still on wrote it. that Yeah, scene. as yeah. many people as it's you really can credit. It's really important to do that. Yes. I just had a comic of mine pop up on a news show. Oh, wow. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> on uh, the hilltv.com, cool. the, wow. their morning show called Rising. And uh, I did like a spoof of them and they put it up on the screen and they said, so whoever did this, thank you. And I was like, whoever? Whoever what? did this? What the Posted fuck? on my Twitter account. I mean, obviously it's me. Look right, at all right. the other. It pisses anyway. me off so much. Whoever did this? They retweeted it and it got like thousands of there likes. There you go. Okay. And well, hundreds go. of retweets. So it, it paid off. But I was like, what do you mean, whoever? And then I was thinking, eh, maybe it was like a copyright thing. And Mark Tweedo also said... Yes, Pickled Abe. Remember Jason Abbott and I talked about that? He also said, damn it, I've been saying Chris Robertson's name all wrong. Yeah, so we we all get to mispronounce together. Hayden Orr said, I love this story. I kind of wish we'd gotten more of the alternate dimension and its creatures. Plus, you gotta love the big Godzilla type good guy kaiju. I wonder if the big guy is related to the other dimension we saw in 1948, kind of reminds me of the humanoid creature from that story so this kind of blew my mind so i went back and he posted a picture of that when in 1948 remember when those creatures are coming through the trinitite what is it yeah. called and yeah. portal yeah. yeah and there's all those misshapen monsters and they show a group shot with all the monsters and there's one in the front that kind of looks exactly like that giant thing that came oh. through the portal which i thought oh, was wow. interesting yeah also this story got me thinking about kaiju a lot I was trying to think about some movie kaiju that are similar to the Ogdruhem, and the two closest I could think of was Dagora, a big tentacled space booger, and Hedora, a slime monster that releases toxic gas from its body that kills people by straight up skeletonizing them. Both of which sound pretty Ogdruhemish to me. Yeah, so I thought that was great. Well, that's cool. Gabriel the Explorer said, This is an interesting arc, and it is one of the few times Mignola engages in sci-fi as opposed to his usual paranormal fantasy horror story. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. The yeah. whole, it had more of a sci-fi sure. aspect to it. Yeah. Some feedback on Abe Sapien the Garden 2, and I credited him on our social media, but Nathaniel Green, he pointed out that those two panels from Hellboy King Vold and then when Strobel lands in Norway are the same bank or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. see that? That was so crazy. Cool. That, that is a good catch. eagle eye. Yeah. I can't believe he spotted that. And you could only really tell because of the rocks and those little flowers, but they were exact. And so um, I think that was really interesting. I wonder where he got that direction from. You know, was it Mignola mm. or was it Allie that was like, hey, you know, let's let's make it look like the same background. What if it's just an amazing coincidence? What do they just like, no. happen to both be looking at each other? <laughs> There's no way. There's, There's no, no way. way. I mean, it, there is a slight way. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, Mathematically it insignificant. Felt, it felt to me like they may have used photo reference. Like, hey, I've got this great picture on my wall of Norway. 
Oh, see, that's what and I was then when it too. came back around, they were like, "Oh, just use this same shot." Maybe, huh? That's they had another to way have known that that was going to have consequences in story, in world, because there are fucking nerds like us who are going to obsess <laughs> over it, right? Like, that, yeah, right. Because Scott is the one who's you know maintaining like all the continuity of the, uh, guy. Threads. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and everybody was giving Nathaniel kudos on that. Well, what if does the artist ever have any kind? I wonder what kind of relationship they have as a team. Like, do they ever have any input? Like, wouldn't it be cool if I used the same thing? Yeah. What do you think, guys? And then Scott Alley has to crunch the numbers and be like, is this okay? Can we do this? Right. Well, just like that one guy said, Fumara is a fan of the book. So maybe he was reading for King Vold and he was like, oh, here's Norway. Maybe. I don't know. Trinidad himself, he also gave Aubrey some kudos for noticing that parallel between the Midnight Circus and Maggie's Camp. And Abe Sapien, I also posted that comparison online. Thank you. Jason Abaddon said, when the beef jerky mummy wants answers, she'll pull you aside. This issue shows that Ponya. <laughs> he said, this issue shows that Ponya was wrong way back when she said Liz was never coming back. Yeah, remember that? She, oh. said, she said Liz isn't coming back, but then she did. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. What if huh. it's not Liz? Oh, no. He said, uh, I think Maggie and her... <laughs> he said, I think Maggie and her mom's understanding is like the idea Jack Kirby made for Thor. He speaks the all tongue, a mystical language anyone can understand and reply to. Right on. Yeah, and we know that there's some Thor analogies with Hellboy. And Jason Abaddon, he also said, uh, Edith Call is hooked on that sweet lovin'. Don't know what, what kind of moves Call had, but damn, he must have rocked her world. I guess. <laughs> because yeah. she's still following him around, you know, the skeleton is still following him around all this time. We also talked about how we skipped Abe Sapien number 27 in the reading order. Mark Tweedell said, regarding that, when it was collected in the omnibus, they added extra pages to the end, which placed the story during BPRD Devil You Know. Mm. That way, Abe Sapien 27 ended, originally, was really odd, like someone had torn out the last few pages. I remember asking Scott Alley about that at the time, and he revealed a full version would be coming later. With the new pages, though, if you read it where it sits in the publishing order, the ending is completely baffling, Mm. almost a non sequitur. When I was doing Mignola University's Hellboy Universe reading order, I had a rule. When I tell the reader to read an omnibus, they read the whole thing, no splitting it up. The story was one story that made me break that rule. I just couldn't get it to work otherwise. Wait, there's pages I haven't read? I guess... I don't have the omnibus. I guess so, because that's what he's saying here, is that in that story, there's more pages coming in that one. But in the actual Abe Sapien Dark and Terrible omnibus, because that's the one we're reading, they skip it too. They go straight from that previous story to the garden also in the omnibus version. So I think it has to be included in a different omnibus or something so i'm sure we'll come around to it later in the reading order some feedback on bprd hell on earth grind at ad mac ritchie on twitter said one of the best single issues ever i totally agree with that and nicholas orizaga said some thoughts on the grind i like the title it makes me think of both the daily grind of trying to make a living in a post 9-11 like disaster and also the coffee grounds as aaron goes back to work at steel kilts if they ever make a BPRD Hell on Earth TV series, this would be a great pilot episode. At least the part before the opening theme song and credits of the first episode. 
they cut to a flashback showing how all this happened and continue the series from the beginning. And they better start the show off with an Easter egg of the real John Salinas playing himself. Because I look like that guy. <laughs> I could be that guy. That would be awesome. Nice. As for Steel Kilts, I'm pretty sure that was John Arcudi. He wrote an introduction to Dark Horse edition of Moby Dick by Chaboot. That's the one you were talking about, right? Yeah. Uh And his Instagram name is a mashup of two lead characters from that novel, Ishmael and Captain Ahab. Yeah, because his handle is at Ishmahab or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He does do the intro. And he just published a book celebrating the bicentennial anniversary of Herman Melville's birth called From Hell's Heart. Now to the story itself, I just love this one. This is why Mignola said, No one in comics write better stories about human beings than John Arcudi. I mean, we can relate to this guy Aaron in just 22 pages. He's pondering shit on his way to work the way we all do. And he's trying to rationalize it by asking why does every town have a wrong side of the tracks? And what makes it so? He's to the point of frustration about questioning why security guards insist on checking ID when no one is willing to check on actual people. He also casually talks back to his boss, knowing that there's no real repercussions. This is the shit that most of us would do. Still try to make our days as normal as possible, but definitely lower our thresholds for dealing with bullshit. I love the optimism showed by Aaron when Johan agrees to meet him tomorrow. His confidence that the BPRD will kill the Ogdruham monster, even as his boss is making plans to transfer to another store, and his relief that he'll finally be able to have some closure for his dead friend Ira... And then the absolutely devastating ending to that story. The image with Johan waiting and us, the audience, knowing that Aaron will never show up immediately made me think of, spoiler alert, the Jack Nicholson film, The Pledge. I haven't seen that. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Anyway, he said, John Arcudi has teased some amazing creator-owned things on Instagram over the past year and a half, and I can't wait to see more of it. I can't get enough of this guy. And I haven't even mentioned the amazing artwork of Tyler Crook. Speaking of teasers, Tales of Harrow County is coming soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicholas. It's always good to hear from you. A.T. Johnson said, Hey, you damn guys. Got to write up my notes from several various episodes, but had to fire this one off after listening to 64. Steel Kilt is a Starbucks reference. And so that's what you were talking about, Matt. Yeah. Right, right. He also said, So stoked Matt is a regular on the show, and I love the inside info he is able to call upon. Yeah. Love you all. cool. Yeah. So thanks, A.T. Jules Olivero said the short tragic story was beautifully illustrated and masterfully told and is one of my favorite BPRD stories. The cover is just perfect. Letters and Numbers said the story was so chilling and the cover art perfectly captures the feel of the issue. Mark Tweedell said one of my favorite covers from Lawrence Campbell and he draws a lot of fantastic covers. And then Lawrence Campbell even responded and he said, thanks, Mark. It's still one of my favorite covers also. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Just a quick side note. This guy we've been talking about, Christoph Shabut or Shabute, however mm-hmm. you say it. You guys should check out the Park Bench. It's a 300-page graphic novel he did without any word. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah, he's really good. I just thought that was worth noting because you guys are comics fans. Yeah. That he, really, he really used the medium. And, and there's no juxtaposition there, I guess. Okay. So that's, kind of a, that's a good one. Yeah, so thank you for all the listener feedback over the last couple of weeks, you guys. And now we're going to move on to our book club episode for the week. So this week I thought it would be fun to go off track a little bit and check out some of these crossover stories for our Halloween episode. We're going to start off talking about Ghost Hellboy. This is a non-canonical two-issue miniseries 
published by Dark Horse Comics in May and June of 1996, so this is way back. It features a crossover between Hellboy and Ghost, who are both Dark Horse properties. And we know all about Hellboy at this point, but who is Ghost? She first appeared in 1993 in Comics Greatest World Arcadia Week 3 by Dark Horse Comics. She was created by Team CGW, which is short for Team Comics Greatest World, and this is a group of five creators who created Comics Greatest World, so that's Ghost's kind of universe. And that's the line that they're under for Dark Horse Comics. And so the members of Team CGW are Mike Richardson, Randy Stradley, Barbara Kessel, Jerry Prosser, and Chris Warner. So they're all credited with creating this character. Ghost's real name is Eliza Cameron, and she was born with these ghost-like powers that we kind of see in this issue. There's way more to it. She used to be able to enter this other dimension as a child and communicate with an imaginary friend who later turned out to be a demon. Later in her life, she became an assassin due to things, and her memories ended up getting erased. And so with few memories, she started to believe that she was actually a ghost and started to investigate her past as this hero, the ghost. So I'm uncleared on what's been revealed about her origin in terms of this issue here and where it falls, but there's a lot more to her story. Her title ran for 132 issues, and her powers include flight, invisibility, phasing, and teleportation. In addition to being collected in Hellboy Mass and Monsters, there was also a Ghost Hellboy special that was released, and it collected both issues along with a small sketchbook section. All the covers are by Mignola. This story is by Mignola, pencils by Scott Benefiel, inks by Jason Rodriguez, colors by Pamela Rambo, letters by Sean Conod, and edited by Scott Alley. It is so weird not to see uh, Dave Stewart or Clem Robbins on a property on a Hellboy property. Yeah, it's just, really. It, it, you know, they've been with us pretty much the whole way. I mean, I know Dave Stewart didn't start out to begin, but didn't Clem Robbins do the letters on Seed of Destruction? I, I, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I thought it was... Somebody else. Yeah, and I thought that this was interesting, too, that it's written by Mignola. And we'll talk about that more as we go on. But I thought it was really cool that he wrote this story. So we open the story in Arcadia, 1939. This is a fictional city in Comics' Greatest World, and it's like their Gotham City. It was a great city once, but then it fell to corruption. And it is governed, in a way, by the vigilante called X, who's another Comics Greatest World property. And his thing is that he gives criminals one last chance before killing them. We open up on this boarded-up building, and we see this sign on the front that says, There's no way like the American way. And so this art style is very 90s, right? It, it kind of really brought me back to that era. It also it, it kind of does. reminded me of it also kind of reminded me of like Tales from the Crypt or something like that. Maybe it's just like this opening scene, but that okay. kind of similar art style. Okay. Say so he did some Witchblade. Oh, okay. You right. Know, total like 90s comic, sure. I think. Yeah, very 90s. <laughs> We're introduced in a grisly way to this gangster boss. He's chopped up one of the goons in a bathtub with an axe. Don't like that. But he hears this dude, Vinny, laughing and taunting him still. This opening is so fucking grisly. Yeah, and he's got some other goons with him. And he starts to realize that he's the only one that that can hear Vinny laughing. And so he tells the goons to get that weasel freak upstairs from the library. Yeah, and so uh, it says 39 minutes later, and there's like a little stopwatch or whatever. I like that little detail in the corner. Yeah, there you go, pocket watch. The goons return with Dr. Herbert Ezo. He's in a robe like they just woke him up, and he's got some supplies with him. The boss explains what happened, and he shows Izo the body. He asks Izo, 
to witch up some hoodoo to send Vinny to hell. And so this guy, Herbert, he does some sort of magic. He's got like a spell and he's got this candle and the candle has all these like Mignola type symbols on it. In his incantation, he mentions Adad-Ra. This might be a reference to the storm and rain god in the Canaanite and ancient Mesopotamian religions. He also mentions caverns of Agthoth and the vaults of Gog. I couldn't find references to these, but they sound right in line with the Mignola verse. So when he, after he does his ceremony, the candle goes out and all the gangsters are rejoicing. They're like, he did it. Izo says, he tore asunder the fabric of the universe, punched through the outer dark, the netherworlds. His soul sucks screaming back into the abyss, but he's still laughing. And we get one shot of that body in the bathtub. And Izo seems stunned by this. And the gangster boss, then he ends up shooting him too, right? Because he's like, I can't let him walk out knowing that Vinny got the last laugh. And so he shoots this guy, Izo, and then he's got this other guy ready to, like, brick up the crime scene. And so they go out into the street, and they're all ready to go out to Mickey's joint for some clams. But then this <laughs> this car pulls up. Hey, you bums, this is for my brother, C. Well, he doesn't say C. I just want to throw <laughs> that in there. Oh, uh, this guy did the last... Yeah, his exactly. His last words are, ah, nuts. Yeah, and so the boss and his goons, they all get Tommy Gun to death. We see the drain on the tub uh, with dead Vinny, and it's got like this red uh, in the tub, I guess, where all the blood is going down. So then we cut to Arcadia now, and by now, I guess we mean 1996. We see a crime scene, and there's a guy shot in the head, and Hellboy is there. It's so interesting to see Hellboy in this other art style, right? right? Yeah. 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 The long history of gangland-style violent crime has been going on for a hundred years. A century of thugs killing each other. Where does all the blood go? And we see this guy, Seymour Glick, at the bottom. So this is a parapsychologist and former president of the Long Island Psychical Research Society. And so in a lot of the old Hellboy short stories and stuff that was coming around in this time, there was always like one talking head researcher that was like, here's a little background information thing. And so I think that this is interesting how they put it in here. He says, I believe the spilled blood of Arcadia has collected in some subterranean grotto beneath the city. It has, in fact, become a sort of living creature, an evil controlling brain corrupting the lives of the people of the city, polluting the very atmosphere of the place and making it a breeding ground for freaks and monsters. Is that that X guy you were talking about? Yeah, so here we see X, and this other thing is called Monster. His name is actually called Monster, and he's like one of the villains in Comics Greatest World. Yeah, so they, they got they got like very '90s looks to them, but then you like turn the page and you got Hellboy and the BPRD agent just looking like Hellboy and the BPRD agent. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like this one dude's got like he's got like a padlock on his mask that looks like it's over his mouth, but might be on his neck. I'm oh, not I sure. think it's around his neck. Yeah, that's a very '90s thing. You ever wear a padlock around your, you know, choker around your neck? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so we go back to the crime scene. And Hellboy talks to Josephine T. Gant, a BPRD psychic. And I don't think we've ever seen her before. She can sense ghosts. There's anger coming off her like heat, Gant says. She's hunting. And Hellboy's there hunting her too. He says the BPRD are looking for her. She has to stop shooting people, even if she is only shooting the bad guys. So we get this scene where Ghost is about to take out this bad guy, right? And it's very kind of like a Batman-like, I thought, because she's like taunting the guy from the darkness. 
He's like, hey, what's going on? And she says, don't worry, Eddie, I won't leave you to the cops. You belong to me. And he's like, oh, no. And then Hellboy pops out of the shadows. So also very Batman-esque yeah. kind of appearance there. And so Hellboy's like, boo. And he scares that guy. He starts running away. Now, see, I mean, I, I, I did get a Batman, but I got a different Batman reference when uh, Ghost was taunting him. I was thinking of the Phantasm from Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, yeah. We were just talking about the animated series. I want to watch that again. Well, I'll save my I'll save my. Oh, yeah. Save but... it for the next story. Yeah. Where are you going to run from a ghost? Ghost taunts. Cut that out. Come out where I can see you, Hellboy responds. And this guy, Eddie, he starts banging on the door to get some help. And then we see ghost arms phase through the door, and they shoot the guy down. Stop, Hellboy yells. And then he comes face to face with ghosts. They have this encounter right here. Very cheesecake design. This oh, yeah. So she's got so the... Ridiculous. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't talk about her the costume. The obligatory costume that definitely would not stay on if this was a real physical person. Sure. Without, like, a lot of tape and glue. And even then, like, the size of the boobs would just... <laughs> these little petals that she's got would absolutely just fall off and right. flop forward and she'd just be running. I, what, <laughs> I saw someone... I can't remember who did this or whatever, but I remember seeing someone drawing... What women would actually look like in a bunch of like these superhero costumes or whatever, like the Wonder Woman and all this right, stuff, right. like the no, no straps. It's not even. It's like two little leaves that cover the <laughs> boobs or whatever, like Zatanna and all that right, shit. Right. And like it's just basically they all kind of just flop forward and they're just like <laughs> boobs out and just just kind of like these things wouldn't even stay up and it's yeah. just totally impractical. These big super long flowy capes too that she's got on which is not limited to the ladies of course. A lot of dudes have them too but it's just yeah super ridiculous. She's got the spandex tights on all the way up to the crotch and the the, yeah. the top that would absolutely not stay up. It's just very cheesecake. So one thing it's I thought was very in- very 90s. Yeah. yeah. Super yeah. 90s for one, sure. One thing that I thought was interesting when I was researching this character is that as her title goes on her costume becomes more appropriate, where it's just kind of right. like a white robe. Yeah, you know they get I mean. out of the nineties. They what get you're out saying. of that <laughs> eventually. They do, yeah. But yeah, I think this is still at the beginning of the character. I think she was formed in ninety three, so yeah. this is only three years into it. It's just very. Some of these shots of her, you can you can even tell like this is not this can't possibly be a physical right clothing. There's a lot of popular versions of this in. Uh, the cosplay world oh god like even to this day and some of them are just downright scandalous sure. you know <laughs> sure. like people wearing like lingerie yeah exactly for, you know, it's like i don't guns. you know yeah. it's i don't mind what you do in your bedroom but i don't need to be subjected to that right. shit i hate to sound like such an old curmudgeon or whatever but it's like god uh, conventions nowadays will put restrictions on right that kind of stuff. I've, I've had yeah. to create those like guidelines yeah like visuals and it gets pretty embarrassing i'm like do i really have to draw that yeah <laughs> like like what not to do you know there's wow. a time and a place for it. there's a space for it and I, i'm not like put putting down any kind of you know genre or whatever yeah. i think it's totally appropriate if you want to read that stuff and look at it but it's kind of like Sometimes I just want to read something without having to look at porn stars. I would love to. Well, not today. Not today, yeah. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Oh. There you go. <laughs> this is none of your business, Hellboy Ghost says. And he's like, you recognize me? You were on the cover of Life magazine a couple years ago. The world's greatest paranormal investigator turns 50. They've mentioned that before, right? Yeah. Okay, so like uh, the other day like when I was reading the story, I didn't re- know anything about the character. I read about it on Wikipedia after I read the story. Right. But so I'm sitting there reading this and I'm like thinking, okay, so this is a ghost character that carries guns 
and reads Life magazine. How does she oh, hold yeah. the guns if she's phasing? Is this like a Kitty Pride style phasing? Because it's her a, arms are going through the wall. When when Ghost she's magic. phasing, I think when she's phasing, the guns are phased too. But oh, then the she, guns are phased too. But what? then she shoots the guy. So then, yeah, how, does, how do the I bullets? Guess, well, she solidifies them on the other side of the door. I guess. I guess. I guess. Or also, I guess as the bullets exit the gun, they become solid because they're not part of her anymore. I, I don't know. Well, Aubrey Aubrey had a theory, and he that I accidentally talked over, in which he said ghost magic. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah, ghost magic. So, but apparently she's not a ghost, so yeah, that just screws that logic. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's the nineties. Yeah, she tells Hellboy to leave her alone, and he says, "I came to help you, lady." And so he kind of tries to tackle her, but he just kind of phases right through her and he falls down some stairs and then he crashes through the ground and falls into this whole typical Hellboy, right? We get some tiny hoovies. We get a shot of the hoovies with the spats. I love that. And I love as he falls down there, she's like, world's greatest paranormal investigator. (laughs) That's part of the job, man. Yeah. (laughs) I love love the shot of the Hellboy feats. Here's another uh, 90s trope. Like she's wearing like spiked heels. I know, oh, right. what is that? Like, come on. Since they mentioned the Time Magazine thing, does that make this canon? Because you always have to wonder that with crossover, right? Well, in the Hellboy wiki, it said that it was non-canonical, and she says Life Magazine. I don't know if that's the same thing as Oh, Time Life Magazine, magazine. Yeah. right. Also, wait, going back to what you said about the spike heels, which is very impractical when you're running around, but can she fly? She can fly, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well then if you can fly, I feel like wear whatever footwear you want. <laughs> that's fine. You wear whatever shoes you want. If you can fly, that's totally cool. An important distinction, <laughs> yes. And so as Hellboy fell into this hole, they've come across that bricked-up crime scene that we saw in that opening story. But also, have you noted the multiple belts in typical 90s fashion? Oh, We've got totally. several belts. <laughs> and so as Hellboy crashed through this thing, they've discovered that bricked up crime scene, right? And so Ghost, she phases through the bricked up wall and she starts checking it out too. And she sees that dead guy in the bathtub and she starts looking at it and we see that drain again. That's why I mentioned it earlier. And like as she focuses in on it, it like turns all red. That seems like a very Mignola layout yeah. to me. And so then she enters this other realm. And so remember earlier when I said that Ghost, when she was a girl, she could go into this other dimension. And there was like this imaginary friend, but then it turned out to be a demon. And so that demon turned that dimension into a hell world or something like that. And then she had to get out of it. So I believe that's what she's referencing here. Because she goes into this other realm and she's like, wait, I beat this place. I beat you. I know that she's just an excuse to draw boobs, but this guy really did a great job with the knees. Knees, oh, yeah? knees can be deceptively tricky. Sure. So that's good uh, perspective there. I like that. As Ghost fights off all these hands that are grabbing at her, she hears a voice that tells her she should already be free. These creatures should have no power over you. Why do you allow it? Try again to cast them off. Do you love your pain so much, or is it possible that these demons are not of your own making? Is your road so long and so black that you do not know me at all? Can you not recall my face? child my name is peace and so he pulls back his hood and he's got like this golden mask right and it's a very mignola design too i wonder (laughs) if like mignola designed that or so i know that scott benefell is drawing it but but also this guy's dialogue i kind of just want to be like okay man yeah like it is a little bit right yeah well i mean didn't mignola do the layouts for this oh yeah the thumbnails oh okay i think he did do the thumbnails you're right he very well could have designed this mask 
He says, what creatures are these that keep you from my embrace? Whose agents are they? Look close upon them. Behold the enemy. And so we see like three Hellboys there in this panel. And he starts telling her, you know, that he needs the right hand of doom, right? The key is beyond my grasp, but I know its shape. Him and everybody else. He fucking... Yeah. You're not the only... Stand in line, dude. (laughs) What I think is interesting is he shows her this vision of it, and it's got all these little symbols on it that it doesn't necessarily Yeah, it's super cool. I've never seen that before. that's pretty cool. I really like that. Yeah, like it harkens back to some ancient thing. That's really interesting. I dig that. And Ghost is like, Hellboy's hand, but that's not possible. He doesn't have anything to do with me. But Peace says to trust him. The hand is the key to all this. And we go back to Hellboy, and he's in that walled-off room just after he fell, and he's like, ugh, that was some investigating. And so he attempts to do some real investigating, inspecting dead Izo, who did that ceremony in the 1939 scene. And I like how he talks to the dead skeleton. Right. He's kind of used to that, right? Yeah. Okay, so at first, when I was reading this, I thought he was, like, when he says, what's your story, I thought he was going to do something like he did with the... Um the one guy in the corpse. Oh, right, right, yeah. But I guess I was only in the movie. Mm. Also, well, no cannibal. Well, in, <laughs> but, in, but in the comic, it, it could talk. The corpse could talk right, to him, right. remember, yeah. But do you remember in the movie, like, he did something and, like, the corpse just started talking? Oh, right, you're right, exactly. Yeah. So. Oh, I guess that is non-canonical, huh? And he says, whoever did this to you wanted to make sure you didn't get found. But he finds his wallet, right? So he starts looking through the wallet, and just then Ghost appears behind him. And she shoots the shit out of him. (laughs) Yeah, what gives, Hellboy says. Quit it. I thought you wanted to be left alone. And he, like, breaks through this wall and stuff. I like, again, we can't see his palm. They've blacked it out. Oh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we'll talk about that more when we get to the sketchbook section. And Ghost is like, I don't understand how you're involved in all this. And he's like, I came here to help you, remember? Now drop the guns, or I swear. And he kind of raises his right hand like he's going to punch her. And she says... I'm a ghost, you idiot. What are you going to do? I'll punch your boobs right out of that costume. <laughs> but he hits her, and with the right hand of doom, he's able to make contact. Yeah, which is, I thought that was so interesting. I was like, yes. Yeah, because it's like yeah. this mystical item, Exactly. Right? He can totally punch ghosts. And so she's all bleeding from where he hit her, and she starts to realize, oh, when he jumped through me, his right hand missed, but I guess it can, you know, make contact. And so Hellboy's like punching through walls, chasing after her. All right, and now we got a ghost bleeding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and, she's not and, really a ghost, though, right? Right, well, she's see, not. I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, right, right, right. She's not actually a ghost, but she thinks that she might be because her all oh, her memories are fucked up. She's all fucked up. Yeah, and Hellboy's like, "Sorry about the smack to the head, but you were really asking for it." Now let's talk about this. And so I thought this was kind of a cool action beat. She like takes this broken leg of a chair it's very buffy of her and she like faces it through his hand and then lets go of it and then it's solid within his hand yeah that's pretty tight that's pretty yeah, cool that's right? a, yeah that's a that's a kitty pride move if i ever saw one yeah right there. she I, does that type of shit a lot doesn't she and i thought the action is well paced yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries to swing at her with the right hand of doom again but she phases through the ground and then she like sticks her hands oh, into him man. right and phases into her hands and he's like throws himself back screaming but she hears peace, don't kill him. And so she like lets him go, but he's all knocked out. We get an Aji's from him. Oh, we do, yeah. We got a couple Aji's <laughs> here. We reveal peace, and he's with all these scary zombie guys, and they're in the same pose like we saw those three Hellboy heads earlier, right? 
Yeah. And he's also speaking that Hyperborean language. I want to say that we saw these exact phrases in Wake the Devil, which would have been coming out in the same year as this story. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm. Peace also has this pig man next to him with an axe and it's laughing. He's in this area where there are all these like ancient reliefs on the wall and stuff like that. Pig man. Little pig little pig dude. Man. <laughs> he, uh-huh. he gives me the um Oh, good, good one. Yeah, <laughs> he gives me the uh, Ruagak feels. Yeah, yeah he sure does. Not quite as he's a little bit more goofy, a yeah. little tiny bit. The well, design. I mean, like, yeah. he's like proto. No, Ruagak. yeah, for sure, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Brother, she is our deliverer, and she serves her own world up to damnation and slaughter. Okay, so he's the bad guy, right? So, as <laughs> if we didn't know already, that dialogue yeah. for sure. Chapter two, yeah, and I love these covers by Mignola. Um, how do you think about how he draws Ghost's costume, right? Sure. Because he's got to draw it too, right? I was thinking, like, I was wondering, how did he feel about drawing? He's like, well, it's sure mostly going to be a white sheet. Right? Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Outside the building in Arcadia where Hellboy and Ghost were, we see the agents. The BPRD agent Gant, who we met in the last issue, and some other agents are having to hold the cops off. Gant says Hellboy told her to leave him alone in there for an hour. The other agent asks if she can use her psychic powers to see what's going on with Hellboy, but she says she lost Hellboy when he and Ghost uncovered that hidden crime scene. It's like Hellboy and Ghost were swallowed up by that place, vanished off the face of the earth, and we see that red drain again. Okay, hold on. Before we get off this page, I want to point out two things. Uh, One, I'm digging the BPRD dude in his Letterman jacket. Oh, yeah. You're right. It looks like a Letterman jacket. Wow. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Very super cute. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And then also, like, and we saw this in the last issue, the property says for sale KL52199. Yeah. And so every time I see that, I always think of the Simpson episode, the Mr. Plow, I think it is, where he's like giving out his phone number and he's like Klondike 5. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. And then the KL5. So every time I see KL5, I always hear Homer Simpson say Klondike 5. Right. <laughs> But but going back to this jacket, I was going to say going back to the jacket. What, I, I wonder yeah. if you could go to okay because I'm I'm just thinking right in my head. Okay, so Skeleton Crew they sell a white BPRD patch that looks just like this. Oh wow! Okay, so I wonder if you could go to one of these Letterman jacket sure, places yeah. and say oh, I want to buy a green and black Letterman jacket, put BPRD on the pocket, and put it on the back. Yeah, and then just get a patch from Skeleton Crew. And put, you could make this. Oh, I want. What one would now. be some of the other yeah. patches? Because don't Letterman jacket you have things that you earn to also put on the sleeves well, and the back. Skeleton Crew I never got one. Skeleton Crew. <laughs> John got several. I have two. I got He's two. Got Letterman's. two. So this is, yeah. Here's my plug for Skeleton Crew. They have a variety of patches. They have a Lobster Johnson claw patch. They have a Mignola skull patch. They have a BPRD logo patch. Right Hand of Doom patch. Can can we come up with like meanings for these patches? Like the claw would be like you had an encounter or you worked a case. You worked a case with the the lobster. Or you you saw the ghost of Lobster Johnson or something like something like that. And then like what the skull would be like a thing and then. Maybe the, the, something society. the skulls is like how many frog monsters you killed or something, <laughs> or how many Ogdrahams sure. you killed or something, and then uh, we'll see. Like, and then like on the back, instead of writing BPRD, just write book club member. Oh, book club member, cute. Oh man, Aubrey, nice. you're very genius. cute. Oh, oh man, it's adorable. That. This is gonna be the was... official 
unofficial book club <laughs> member jacket because we don't want to like There's go and be, make any. Oh, yeah, be a, you, can't, in, you can't buy one. You have to make this one yourself. There's yeah. going to be like an influx yeah. of 20, 30, and 40 year olds going to Letterman shops and asking <laughs> Absolutely. for green and black Letterman jackets. And we're, buy, we're, we're, you know, and we're promoting Skeleton Crew. You have to buy those patches. Sure. Sure. Right? Hey. So we cut to Ghost, and she's in this other realm, and she's carrying Hellboy along in the air. He's really heavy, right? Like, we've talked about, they've talked about that before, like how he weighs, like, doesn't he weigh, like, a ton or something? Well, or? But usually I mean, when you, oh, sorry, go, go I was going to say, well, she's phasing, probably, to fly. That's how the vision flies. He phases himself, and he gets to float. So she's probably phasing him, too. Oh, Kitty does the same thing when she, like, flies oh, yeah. through mm-hmm. walls and shit like that. And yeah. I think that a lot of times you'll see characters that can fly that are tinier maybe aren't that strong or whatever and so they're and they're carrying like a bunch of people right. i think that's that's that happens often so oh, yeah, that's like just kind of one of those things where we're just like they can fly that means they're super strong they got super strength whatever sure. well it's like you see storm carrying colossus and his sure. and his armored form she's like well it's the hurricane winds that allow me to pick there you up. go there it is <laughs> whatever yeah exactly just go uh, with it just go with it i like all these weird you know you got a bunch of columns and all yeah the columns with all statues, the yeah the engravings and the carvings i guess the relief is yeah what it, what it would be it's really intricately done it looks amazing really nice so she carries hellboy over to this floating head of peace and she says she still doesn't understand what hellboy has to do with any of this peace tells her to trust him hellboy comes to and he asks who she's talking to you don't see him ghost ass hellboy says all he remembers is she was rearranging his guts in some crappy building in arcadia where are we now he asks and suddenly they hear this sound these statues start shaking and then this giant stone monster thing starts to emerge out of the ground. It kind of looks like it's armored and helmeted, but it's made out of stone. Yeah. It's it like a really cool design. Yeah. yeah. It kind of reminded me of the Destroyer from yeah. Thor, right? Okay. But made out of rock, I guess, instead. Jeez, this just keeps getting worse, Hellboy says. What is this, Ghost exclaims. Unexpected, but do not be afraid. This thing is the refuse of your former life, Peace says. The shape of all your doubts, your fears, all those things that keep you chained to the world of living men. You would know the peace of the grave? Destroy it. And so they have to fight this thing, right? And so they have a pretty cool action scene here. It, like, smacks Hellboy away, but Ghost is, like, phasing through it. And she's trying to shoot it. It's like, what are bullets going to... What, what good are, are bullets going to yeah. do to the rock or whatever? I don't know. Look at that lobby in uh, the first Matrix movie. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> good one, Aubrey. So Hellboy is able to punch this thing with the right hand of Doom, and that sends it flying back. But then it knocks over this column, and it looks like this thing is going to fall on Hellboy. And so Ghost is like, no. And Peace is like, the hand. And so she does a cool little phasing trick here. She kind of, like baits the monster to swing towards her and then she phases its hand so it passes through the building and then she like lets go of it so now the arm is stuck in the building we've got some more of this 90s comic stuff where she's narrating literally her entire thought process everything she's doing she's right like, all right follow me monster far enough now swing perfect <laughs> that should hold you until like if you actually were to say these things out loud, it makes no fucking sense. You sound totally ridiculous. Well, you sounded great just then. I mean, come on, it's a very—it's just a very. But it'd be like if you like you were like going to work, you'd be like, okay, open the door, yeah, walk to the yeah, car. Exactly. I'm unlocking my car. Yeah, now I'm putting in in drive. That's how, yeah, that's how we used to play when we were kids, right? We'd all run sure. through the woods, going, "Okay, go, stop, wait, hold on, 
Okay. Now pretend no. that I'm super Run. strong and I picked you up. Like it's very. You mean you guys still don't do stuff like that or what? <laughs> I don't vocalize it. <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, but as the monster's arm gets stuck in there, then it pulls it out and it breaks it off and then it starts crumbling, right? I will say that was a, other than the, you know, narrating her everything she's doing. Sure, thought, no, yeah. I thought that was a neat way to to get rid of the monster. It looks I really cool. Like it's, and it's very well yeah. drawn. It is. Yeah. So with that monster defeated, P still calls out to Ghost that she's lost without the hand. And so she like looks over and she's like, it's coming. And we see Hellboy emerging from that wreckage. He's like, oh, goddamn thing. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's good. It's and very so Hellboy. They, they enter this like golden doorway ahead. And so they walk in there. This looks so good. I really like this. Yeah, I love yeah. it. The, yeah. The attention to detail and it gets like very sci-fi. And I like how Hellboy's like, yoo-hoo, as he enters, right? Yeah, he's very yeah. sarcastic. Because he does this every day of the week. It's nothing new to him. Yeah, and we reveal this giant statue, very intricately done, like Danielle said. It's got four arms, and two arms are up at its side, and then the other two are holding this green smoking lantern. It's got a very Mignola design. Yeah, it's nice. And kind of reminds me of the Moloch brass bull statue that we've seen show up in Hellboy and the 1940s BPRD series. Hellboy and Ghost are surrounded by all these zombies, and they're like calling out, The Hand! Okay, that's it, Hellboy says. You start talking right goddamn now. And then he gets zapped by this energy. Zop. I like the onomatopoeia yeah, it's there. Good. <laughs> and so he was blasted by peace. Is he dead? Ghost asks. No, peace says. The hand should be struck off while the body yet lives. So it is written in the testament of Mulge or whatever. Mulge. But that's not a I looked that up, that's not a reference to anything. And the pig with the axe laughs from behind. Ghost asks again what Hellboy has to do with her. In truth, he has nothing to do with you at all, Peace says. The hand is unrelated to you except its relationship to all human animals. And the pig laughs as it chains up the right hand. Everything I have said to you is a lie, Peace says. And so Ghost is like all shocked. She's like, what? Ha, girl, you are a queen of fools, betrayer of all mankind. This is where I, I explain of- <laughs> my evil plot to you. I'm the, really the bad guy. Yeah. It's very and he's good. like, what little effort to turn you to my purpose? Betrayer of all mankind. All the living curse you. I like how he throws his robe back and all of a sudden he's this beefcake wrestler looking dude. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, he, w- he went from like, you know, floaty, roby, right. gold mass thing and now he's like, <laughs> literally said, ha ha, I'm really the bad guy. Right. Right. Like it's just incredible. I mean, he, this guy looks like he would be perfect in a wrestling match. He'd be like going up against the rock or something. Right, right. <laughs> And he slaps Ghost away, and he says that he's going to butcher her when the work is done. Gross. So here he reveals, like, that he was actually imprisoned, and that giant stone thing that he had Hellboy and Ghost defeat was his jailer. And he mentions that he was jailed by priests of Chaldea, or Chaldea. I saw it pronounced both ways on the internet, I don't know which one is correct. I like the... Dingle dangles, he's got on his skirt little tassel. Oh, yeah, and they're like kind of flying around. But Chaldea was a country that existed in the late 10th or early 9th to mid 6th centuries BCE, after which the country and its people were absorbed and assimilated into Babylonia. Semitic speaking, it was located in the far southeastern corner of Mesopotamia and briefly came to rule Babylon. There we get some uh, historical fiction in there. He also calls the hand Dam Abjur. 
which I've never heard before either. He says something like that, right? Maybe maybe that's just his way of doing expression, like, you know, like, the hand, damn it, finally! <laughs> <laughs> right. So as he's monologuing, Ghost kind of regains some of her composure, and she grabs her gun to shoot over at peace. And so he shocks her with his green energy. Pathetic woman, weak, stupid. Your little weapon can have no power against me, and even more sad the effort, because you miss your target. She wasn't aiming at you, and so she shot, actually, had the cuff that was holding Hellboy's right hand, so now he can come and fight. Yeah. That's that's a great trope, too. Like, ha, 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 you missed. Yeah, and I love it. Like, Did I? Wasn't you. <laughs> yeah. Good shit. And so now he has this fight with Hellboy, and he calls himself Alal the Destroyer. In Mesopotamian myths, the Alal was a kind of demon that, to tempt men, came out of the underworld and took various forms. Generally, these demons are seen as theriocephalu, with a human body and the head of a lion with open jaws, the ears of a dog and the mane of a horse. The feet are frequently replaced by bird claws of prey. The goddess to which the Alal obeyed was called Alat, and was the wife of Nergal, god of war. And I think I Nergal is mentioned, right? Isn't yeah. hasn't Nergal been mentioned somewhere before? The eyes of a ghost, the ears of a bear. Oh, is that <laughs> As Alal fights Hellboy, he mentions the toppling of Ur. This was a city that fell to Neo-Assyrian Empire about 530 BC. And he also mentions raising Nineveh. I don't know how you say that. Nineveh. And so this actually happened to the Mesopotamian city in 612 BC by multiple forces. He also mentions the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. This was the eighth gate to the inner city of Babylon. It was constructed in about 575 BCE by the order of King Nebuchadnezzar II on the north side of the city. And there's a recreation of this in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. And he also mentions the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world as listed by the Hellenistic culture, described as a remarkable feat of engineering with ascending series of tiered gardens containing a wide variety of trees, shrubs, and vines resembling a large green mountain constructed of mud bricks and said to have been built in the ancient city of Babylon. Sound dope, though. Yeah, and so those all go in line with, you know, around this time, Mignola, he was incorporating a lot of these kind of ancient lost city mythologies into the Hellboy stories as well. And I just love the art, too. I feel like Ben Fiel is doing a Mignola version of this green fire and all this kind of right. stuff as Hellboy and Alal are fighting. And so, yeah, he's saying that he did all these ancient things and all this kind of stuff, right? And Hellboy's like, ah, you didn't do any of that stuff. That's the mass talking. Isn't it, Herb? And Hellboy still has the wallet that he pulled off that dead body. So that guy was Herbert Izzo. And so pieces like that object is unknown to me. But that name rings a bell, doesn't it? Hellboy says, Herbert Izzo, that's you. And he's like, no, I'm Allah the Magnificent. Allah the pain in the ass. That's the mass herb. <laughs> I bet Allah was one wait, of those. Did you say herb or herb? Herb, yeah. I bet Allah was one of those dried up guys over there. <laughs> he points to all those dead guys. <laughs> You're Herbert Izzo, and so the mask falls off the guy, and we see it's that nerdy guy from earlier, the weasel guy that they pulled down to make Vinny go away or whatever. 
the mask falls off him and it starts calling out to him. He's like, you fool, he's trying to deceive you, put me back on. And so he tries to put the mask back on, but then Ghost just like shoots him in the head. God. <laughs> <laughs> and it also splits the mask in half too when she does that, which is pretty great. And Hellboy's like, nice shooting. And she's like, thanks for saving me. How did you know the wallet was his? Mostly, I guessed. Pretty good, huh? Classic Hellboy. You know, and- to this artist's credit, the cup is not completely attached to the skin, like as though it's painted on. There is, like, you can see a gap of it yeah, kind yeah. of raising up off of the skin. Okay. So that, you know, it's not like, like it's it might be on. an actual object. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, she says, world's greatest paranormal, paranormal <laughs> investigator. Now is she being sarcastic or is she acknowledging him? Because I think I think the first time. Oh well, I don't know. Maybe she it's is. It's in quotations. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is in quotes. And he, and he did just say he mostly just yeah. Guessed. It's a yeah. joke. He's she's razzing him. And he's like, but I don't know who that guy is. The laughing pig, right? Maybe I should have asked him before I stuck that big axe in his head. But it's still laughing. And she goes, it must be the guy in the bathtub. And he finally stops laughing. And then there's like this effect or whatever. It says brang and there's this huge burst of green energy and they find themselves back in that walled up room where they started this adventure before they were transported to this other realm. And Hellboy's like, hey, there is a dead guy in the bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) So now do you want to tell me what that was all about? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, you want me to guess? You've got some unresolved life issues. Mass Boy could tell. He fed you a couple of good lines and worked you like a puppet to get me. How does that sound? And she's just silent. Lady, I work with a lot of guys smarter than me. They sent me here to offer you some help, but I think you've got a lot of your own stuff you need to work on before anyone can do anything for you. You don't know anything about me, Ghost says. You're right about that. But I can tell you want answers, Hellboy says. Stop and think. Maybe there are things you're better off not knowing. That creature wanted your hand. Why, Ghost asks. Do you know? No. Can you actually say you don't want to know? I don't need to know, Hellboy says. You're a coward, she says. I like to think I'm just (laughs) well-adjusted. Listen, you sort stuff out and want to talk? Here's my card. And he gives her his card, and she just phases it right through her hand so it falls to the floor. Yikes. Rude. I like how it just says Hellboy on it. (laughs) Yeah. She flies away. And so Hellboy comes out of the building and he encounters Gant again. And she's like, Hellboy, what happened to you? I fell down some stairs, he says, because he's all beat up. His trench coat's all torn and everything. You getting any impressions from our ghost friend, he asks Gant. Anger, but mostly now, terrible pain. Yeah, Hellboy says, that sounds about right. The end. Okay, so this uh, right here at the bottom... Looks like a political ad. Does that say Vignola 96? It does. does. (laughs) Vignola 96. When did that happen? We missed out on that right there. Well, we could do uh, Vignola 2020. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) In the little collected edition, which is available on Comixology, it has both issues in it. You do get to see the thumbnails and Mignola's design for the Laughing Pig Man. Rather than writing a detailed script for the story, Mike Mignola created rough layouts or thumbnails for Scott Benefield to draw from. And you can see on this and the following page, Mike not only worked out the action to take place in the panels, but the light and the dark composition of the pages. Totally Mignola to do that, right? Oh, yeah. Lending the book some atmosphere Hellboy fans are used to. That is so cool. I love that. He also blocked out all of the shadows and light, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool, like in those layouts. Right, yeah. If you go back and compare them, the artist stuck pretty closely to that. And it's funny because Benefil 
is a great layout artist, <laughs> like on his own. Oh, okay. You know, we were joking about it being a traditional 90s feel, but if you ever go back and look at his stuff, he has some really dynamic panel layouts. And I like that this had like a Mignola feel throughout because it gives you a Hellboy feel throughout as yeah. well. Even though but he's it, not I, the artist, yeah. After after reading it again, I was like, I wonder what he would have done on his own. Right, right, yeah. Might have been, might have been cool. Yeah, that would have been cool to see. There's also a note here about uh, the warthog guy. Manola says, why did the dead mobster turn into a warthog man? I suspect it has something to do with the fact that I read William Hope Hodgson's excellent novel, The House on the Borderland, when I was young and impressionable. I just want to note that The House on the Borderland was adapted into a graphic novel in 2000, drawn by Hellboy artist or a contributor, Richard Corbin. Wow, very oh, cool. Wow. And what is the yeah. relation to Laughing Pigman to that story? Do you know? No, oh, I haven't read that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I was looking into that, I was like, oh, I got to track down that Corbin copy. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be great. I'd love to see that, too. And then uh, you, I think you were showing me, Matt, um, that's what, this is when Mignola designed that character model for Hellboy, right? For Scott Benefield? Yeah. We yeah, saw it in is... the. We talked about it earlier, and we saw it in the Art of Hellboy book. But that's the one where, like Danielle was saying earlier, they say that his palm is always in black. That that was created for this comic for Scott Benefield yeah. to draw, Ooh, which I right. think is really cool. That always yeah. stuck with me that he was like, "I've never drawn his palm, so you shouldn't either." <laughs> that always stuck with me. Yeah, the palm yeah. just has like a question mark on it. But yeah. see, I don't understand why the palm couldn't just look like that, just blank. Right. Right. Yeah. What What's it need? <laughs> Just leave it red. He just or prefers black. people not to, yeah, not to draw it. Yeah. Um, well, didn't he say something like he hadn't designed the inside of it, so he didn't know what he wanted it to look like, so he just said, "Leave it always, leave it black." Right. Yeah. Yeah, or don't show it. Well, all the little notes that he does on the model sheet are very cool. He knows how to keep these things fun and not make it feel like work to right. himself. And he says, "I'm not, however, one of those artists who knows exactly how tall his character is or how much he can lift." what's in all his pockets right and, I still, and and that's when he says and i still don't know what the palm of the right hand looks like but you get the sense that he's like look i'm gonna put this stuff on here because it's cool if i go any further i'm gonna lose interest right right and that's totally this guy's style man sure, that's yeah. what makes him that's what makes him a minimalist but that's also what makes this stuff just plain fun yes Yes, and speaking of that minimalist nature and being just plain fun, the next story that we're talking about is Batman Hellboy Starman. This is another non-canonical two-issue miniseries. This one was published by DC Comics in 1999. It features a crossover between Hellboy, a Dark Horse Comics property, with Batman and Starman, who are both DC Comics properties. Written by James Robinson, art by Mignola, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, letters by Willie Schubert, and edited by Peter Tomasi. The cover of issue one is by Mignola, and on issue two, the cover is by Tony Harris. Now, James Robinson was killing it in the 90s, writing Starman. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have, a little bit of, I have a little bit about that, too. Okay. Um, because we know plenty about Batman, right? Do we need it? Do you guys know who Batman is? Right? Wait. All right. Wait, wait. Isn't it? Uh, okay. His name is John Wayne. Um, 
His parents were killed in a car crash uh, while they were going to get ice cream, right? Something right, this, like that. This joke has yeah. run on, its course even Krypton. before you started, please. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk a little bit about Starman. The Starman mantle has been used by several different DC Comics superheroes, most prominently Ted Knight and his sons David and Jack Knight. Created by writer Gardner Fox and artist Jack Burnley, the original Starman, Ted Knight, first appeared in Adventure Comics 61 in 1941. An astronomer, Knight invented a gravity rod, later reinvented as a cosmic rod, allowing him to fly and manipulate energy. And he donned a red and green costume with a distinctive finned helmet. Like most Golden Age heroes, Starman fell into obscurity in the 1950s. In the ensuing years, several characters with varying degrees of relation to the original briefly took up the mantle of Starman. In Zero Hour Crisis in Time Number 1 from 1994, writer James Robinson and artist Tony Harris introduced Jack Knight, the son of the first Starman, a reluctant non-costume hero. He inherited his father's name and mission and used his technology to create a cosmic staff. He starred in a critically acclaimed series written by Robinson from 1994 until 2001. I mostly know Starman from um, Stargirl. Who is like the current holder of the staff? Right, right, right. And who's uh, about to appear in a TV show? Or okay, I don't know if she's getting her own show or she's about to pop up on Legends of Tomorrow. I'm not sure. Right, and and yeah. and I think Starman is going to be in that too. But I was reading that James Robinson has specific copyright over this version of Starman, probably um, the Jack Knight version, and it can't be used in like any media or anything. Like he keeps a pretty tight hold on that because he doesn't want it to get all ruined, since it is a critically acclaimed kind of well done story yeah oh, maybe that's why this is um, digital oh maybe so oh maybe so james robinson he's british although he's he wrote american comics you know if you've ever read british comics his version of starman is exactly what you would expect like anti-hero right he doesn't want to wear no, a costume no real costume yeah that kind of stuff and one other quick note about this particular crossover Comic Book Resources did a top 25 unexpected comic book crossover list at the end <laughs> of last year, and this one is number 25. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. But this, it made me think, have you ever read Cosmic Odyssey? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I love every... Cosmic Odyssey, yeah. So whenever Manola draws Batman, I freak out. Oh, yeah. And also, and have, you read, um, have you read Legends of the Dark Knight Sanctum? Have you read yes. It's a one-shot? Yeah. I All, love that issue. Yeah, yeah. I geek out pretty hardcore when, when this <laughs> stuff happens. Yeah, we'll have to get to those someday. But So with this story, we open up in Gotham City, which I think is crazy. I'm like, what is that? Right. As I'm writing the notes, I'm like, what podcast is this? this is awesome. I had to say, though, I, I found this story to be hilarious. I really loved it. It was yeah. so yeah. much fun. Yeah. I, I have some points I want to make out when we get to them. And so we see the GCPD helicopters, and they're tracking the Joker as he flees Batman. And I love this Mignola Joker. So good. And the action as they're jumping across the rooftops and stuff like that. All I can hear in my head as I'm reading this is Mark Hamill. Right. Of course. (laughs) That's all I can hear. It's just very distinct and very clear like a bell. And then when Batman starts talking, all I hear is Kevin Conroy. Right, of course. That's all I hear. It's so clear. And that's, like we were talking about earlier, it really makes me want to go back and watch the animated series so much like yeah especially uh, after reading this it, yeah, it really, really harkens seriously. to that style you can't get away maniac batman yells the devil you say joker responds surrender you must think i'm crazy and the joker 
pulls out this little jester head. I love it. That is you must think I'm crazy. That was great. Good job. (laughs) That's all I fucking hear. And I love that little panel where he pulls out that jester head. So good. And he drops it, and it's like ticking as it drops. And then we see this huge plume of explosion, right? Look at how that little head has that giant shadow in the spotlight. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's pretty cool. That's a great effect. I just want to watch the series now. This is so good. (laughs) Yeah. And so the GCPD guys think that the Joker blew himself up. I doubt it. The Joker's crazy, but not suicidal, one says. What about Batman? Is he okay? He's standing, but I don't think he wants any company. Mignola's Batman. Awesome. It's so good. So good. And huge belt. That big barrel yes. chest. That he's got the barrel chested. And the, like when he's all hunched over just a cape. Like, yeah. And, oh, everything about it. And so just good. this page. and has the little mood shots. It has the gargoyle. It's Thank just you. like, I love it. Mignola doing doing Batman means Mignola doing Gotham City. And we, as we all know, we're going to get just a thousand gargoyles. And right. like relief, <laughs> relief statues of angels and shit. It's there you great. go. Yeah. Not to be literal with it, but the gothic architecture is fantastic. (laughs) Later, Batman meets with Commissioner Gordon in his office. Batman uh, tells Commissioner Gordon that lives are at stake while the Joker runs free. Remember that bar from last July, Batman asks? Of course, they had a hockey match on TV and the Joker wanted to watch Frasier, so he killed everyone in the place, Gordon (laughs) says. (laughs) Look, the GCPD building... Is a lot like that apartment for rent in Ghost. Oh, you're oh. right. Yeah, interesting. Well, Batman. I, I guess. I guess the uh, Gotham City Police Department rented the building. Sure. <laughs> Batman, and they did. And you know when uh, when I looked up that Arcadia had compared it to Gotham City, so it's that's kind of oh. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Batman says the Joker is a ticking time bomb. Gordon says you'll find him. You always do. Batman thinks the Joker is planning something with all his recent sightings. Mignola's Gordon is good, too. Yeah, and Gordon's like, you need some rest. And I love these bottom panels right here where Batman's like, no rest, not until. And then he holds his head and he's like, anyway, it'll be morning soon. But I love that weary Batman. You know, Mignola's just hitting it right on the head with this characterization. We cut to the next day and Bruce Wayne meets with Ted Knight. This is the first Starman, the Golden Age one. And we get some great Mignola portraits and statues in the background. I always wonder if these are supposed to be certain guys or who they're supposed right. to be. I think this one kind of looks like Charles Darwin a little bit. That's what I was going to say. So, yes, we're going to say it's Charles Darwin. <laughs> and Bruce Wayne tells him that he's long respected his work. Ted Knight says he feels like he hasn't accomplished enough. Maybe he's been listening to his son Jack too much. And we learn that Ted Knight is going to lecture at Wayne Industries Alternative Energy Conference to give an advanced look at his research. And so Bruce is like, look at the time. Your audience awaits you. So we cut over to the conference, and Knight is giving his talk about the cosmic rod and how he intends to apply it. Really cool version of that Golden Age Starman in the background by Mignola. I really like that. And so he's giving his presentation, and then suddenly... Superpowered Nazi skinheads come flying in. Fucking Nazis. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> they, they even shoot. have swastika on the bottom of their boot. Oh, uh, you're right. Oh, oh, wow. They're so funny. Yeah. yeah wow. They got all their branding down. 
No compliments for Nazis. They shoot some kind of <laughs> <laughs> they shoot some kind of green power at the security guards, and the art is just amazing here. That classic Mignola style is just coming through so hard. I love this guy just really giving it to him. He's just fucking clocking Nazis left and right here. This old guy. Yeah, Ted Knight. He starts fighting them off. Right. I don't know what kind of energy you're wielding. He says. Don't worry, old man, the Nazi says. It's alternative. And they shock him with his green energy. That's a pretty good comeback, you gotta admit. Yeah. Jackass. <laughs> and I love this middle panel with Batman, just that one part of Batman's cow. Like, yeah. he's, you know, he's approaching. And then he just comes down. I God, this stuff with Batman is so awesome. As he comes down, he throws his batarangs and all this stuff. is really cool. Batman's dodging the lightning. And he's, like, punching these guys. Just really dynamic work by Mignola. They get away with Ted Knight anyway. One of the Nazis stays to fight Batman while the others escape. You won't stop them, he tells Batman. It will be October soon. And then he blows up, right? He, like, skeletonizes himself or whatever. And Batman's just left there. But these panels with Batman are so good. I mean, I just love all of yeah, this. And the, he, the green light he, in the background and all that Kirby crackle stuff. These pages are just really glorious. Oh, yeah. I like it when he throws... One of my favorites, easily. I like it when he throws the Batarangs. It reminded me of Frank Miller throwing the Batarangs in uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, they're those old school Batarangs, yeah, too. They're, 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 they're small, and you see them. I mean, you don't see them embedding anybody, but you know that they are. Yeah. <laughs> like, Manoa, he... He's got to be one of my favorite Batman artists. The way he draws his gloves, they look like gloves. Yeah. He, re- he relies on the eyes a lot, just letting the whole mask be totally black and in shadow. And and that's how but, you draw Batman. I mean, he's yeah. all, always yeah. in shadow. So it's you get someone shit. like Mignola who loves shadow work so much. It oh, just yeah. works perfectly. It's a perfect, yeah, it's a perfect, Sells it. perfect mix. I got to say, like, seeing Batman clobber a bunch of Nazis is very satisfying. It's amazing, yes. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Later that night... We see the bat signal over Gotham City, and we see Batman swoop down on Commissioner Gordon on top of the GCPD building. And so the bat signal is going on. I'm here, Jim. Why'd you summon me, Batman asks. I didn't. He did, Gordon says. What? And we reveal Hellboy. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like nice suit. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I thought this scene was fucking hilariously awesome. It's great. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just like, you know, it implies like, Hellboy knows who Batman is. Batman knows who Hellboy is. Yes. Neither one of them are freaking out because they're talking to a comic book character. No. <laughs> yeah. It's such a fan fiction thing. Yeah. And I love that it is being illustrated by Mike Pignola. <laughs> like, this is the ultimate kind of... Something you think up in the shower, and then yeah. to actually see it though is really cool. But yeah. what, whatever, what else is also nice about it is they're not fighting. Yeah, they right, don't right, start exactly. Off by being yeah, like what the heck? This is the devil, or no? Whatever. Yeah, they're That's detective like, yeah. pals. Why are you dressed in pajamas, boy? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. They're they're both yeah. res- maybe have some respect for one another as paranormal right, sure. detectives, right? What, like, once the world's greatest detective, once the world's paranormal, yeah, greatest, greatest paranormal investigator. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, there you go. But Batman's not unfamiliar with that type of shit. It's just way more extreme. <laughs> they even point yeah. that out where Hellboy's like. Yeah, but you know, you've had your fair share, and Batman's like, no, well, but you do it more than me, so it's, oh, you know, like they have scene. their That's little, scene, yeah. you know, you, we're not so different. <laughs> me, I got all you these fucking so markers kind of a thing, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I bet Batman knows more about that right hand than Hellboy does. Oh, right. Oh, for uh, sure. Uh, you know, but 
for sure he's the most paranoid motherfucker on the planet oh that's such a a great point that you brought up i love thinking about that that he's just obsessing over this guy absolutely for sure kryptonite style I had a friend when this originally came out who was a Hellboy fan like me, and he said that he thought this crossover was just totally unrealistic. God. And I was like, <laughs> I said, okay, book. hold on. Which part? The guy dressed as a bat yeah. or the guy who's the beast of the apocalypse or the <laughs> fact that they're in the same – and he was like, okay, okay. Yeah. It's the same point that I bring up every time people are like, oh, it's it's totally unrealistic that you would have lady doing this or a black person in this – series and i'm like okay so you're cool with dragons magic right. and all wizards right. yeah. and all that type of shit but like a black person or but, a lady but sure a, a female black uh, yeah 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 it's totally just beyond the pale and it's just like watching their brains explode when you bring that shit up is incredible yeah we're having fun right yeah, yeah. it's a fucking it's fantasy fun. book man right. fucking chill hellboy says he heard about what happened with ted knight and he hopped a plane out of dc gordon says the BPRD thought it would be helpful if he paid a visit. Helpful for who, Batman asks. Both of us, maybe. And they shake hands. That's a great panel. And they have a great scene here with the three of them. I love this with them on the rooftop all talking. Hellboy says that the Nazis are part of a group of old-fashioned Nazis based in South America called the Knights of October. They've been planning something using magic best left alone. I thought this was an interesting detail because we've heard of another nazi who was in south america right uh there's a lot the last i heard there's just a bunch of them down there yeah but in the hellboy verse von klemp oh right out in there yeah Yeah. magic batman asked it seemed more like electrical energy sure hellboy responds it's hard to tell the difference at first but this is sort of my thing so you're gonna have to trust me batman says he'll take it under advisement (laughs) (laughs) and hellboy recognizes Batman works best alone, but says they can accomplish a lot more together in the time they have. How much time is that, Batman asks, as he turns off the bat signal. I like that little click there. Yeah. I don't know, but maybe we should be asking how much time does Ted Knight have, Hellboy says. With all due respect, you may think your experience with magic, Batman, but really compared to me, you have no idea. And Gordon's like, he can help you, Batman. I love how they're like, come on, Batman, just take a partner. Right. <laughs> he's not gonna be a he's not gonna be a wimp like Robin. He ain't gonna get shot nor beaten. Right. And Bat- oh, that's, that's that's rude. And oh, Batman- wrong. I, I love Robin, but still. <laughs> Jeez. And Batman's like, uh, why do you think Fuck. they why do you think they wanted a Ted Knight, a scientist? And Hellboy says, I'm not sure, but spells and rites use formulas and physics as much as they use charms and potions. Science, the alignment of planets, that's all stuff Mr. Knight might be needed to help them with. Well, I suppose we'll know when Knight's located, Batman says. And then he turns around and he's like, so, are you coming? I like that. He's like, yeah, I will take yeah. you, Hellboy. But Good it's a very shit. subtle way of doing it. And so this They're panel, boyfriends. Yeah. I, I've declared it. As long as we're doing non-canonical. <laughs> and I love this panel as they drop off the building. Batman's like, careful, it's a long drop. And Hellboy says, hey, I'm used to this. I fall down a lot. He, he really does. <laughs> and so we get a great detective scene here with Hellboy and Batman. So first they start off with this psychic and they start talking to him. Batman threatens the psychic with the Bunko Squad. And so I kind of looked that up. I was like, what does that mean? So that's like debunking. 
like going like you're a fraud. You're not really doing right what on. you're saying you're going to do. Marvin Zindler, Eyewitness News. <laughs> That's a Houston reference. Oh, Marvin Zindler. <laughs> and then so the psychic's information leads them to Giovanni, a car mechanic. And so that's another classic thing. Whenever they're interrogating guys, all one of them always works in a mechanic shop or something. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> he hears everything, yeah. And Giovanni says, Batman and Hellboy are scaring him to the point where he can barely hold his bladder. So he gives them the scoop on Marty Slade. Giovanni heard plans about a gig with an airfield and a plane. And so we cut to Batman waking up this guy, Morty. I really love this scene. It's really great. He's like, Morty. And then the guy gets up in his underwear. He's like, it wasn't me. I don't know anything. He just bursts out through the window and starts running up the fire escape. And then Hellboy's at the top. He's like, boo. And he scares the guy. Uh, He said boo in the ghost crossover. Oh, he did say boo in that one, too. You're right. Great Halloween issue. Sure. And so then it cuts to them at the airfield. And I love this. Hellboy's like, so that was easier. Easier than I thought. (laughs) And Morty told them that the guy that hired him said they needed a whole airfield. Nazis everywhere, Hellboy says. Sort of looks like the last scene in Casablanca. Sort of. And we see all the Nazis there. And there's this one with like a skull in the swastika. And he's like this big monster thing with like a... I think we see later it's like a robot or something. Oh, but I did look at the ending scene of Casablanca. That's one of those things I actually haven't seen that movie. I love that movie. Oh, okay. I used to own it on VHS, but I used to watch it all the time. You like people talking similar. like this. Yeah, it's it is a similar. Good movie. Yeah. Funny thing about that scene is they built like a like a smaller airplane and then f- to make it look like it's further in the background, and then they had little people playing the parts. Oh, uh, okay. Kind of give that it that perspective. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And Hellboy tells Batman maybe he didn't need him after all. He hasn't been much help. No, I'm glad you're here, Batman says. The magic they use, I'm not saying I couldn't have found a way around it, but you know magic. That's been your whole life for more years than I can remember. I've been around, Hellboy says. And that's when they have that little moment that Danielle is talking about where he's like, well, you know your city, Batman. I'll give you that. It's a strange world you move in. And they're like, yeah. Yeah, but you're good at magic stuff and you do the... We're not so different. We're not after so all. different, you and I. Yeah, <laughs> I like that scene. That's really good. They're pals. They're detective pals. Weird things happen to them, and they're fighting <laughs> evil, fighting Nazis and, and magic. Back to you, John. And so they run towards these Nazis, and so they see them. They're like, "It's Batman and a devil. They're coming!" <laughs> so they start shooting their <laughs> lasers at them or whatever. And I just love this action where Hellboy's like, "Ha ha! You Nazis can't hit anything!" As they dodge all the lightning <laughs> and everything. And they're like, "We must stop you." Good luck, Hellboy says as he punches this guy with the right hand of doom. And this these panels are just awesome. I love Batman and Hellboy fighting these Nazis. It's so great. And we see Batman's fighting off a horde of them, and Hellboy's fighting that robot one that we saw earlier. One of the Nazis runs over to Hair Dance, the leader. And he looks like a bad guy leader, right? He's got like a oh, yeah. metal eye or something like that. Dan says they're trying to get Ted Knight to San Diablo. So I thought this was really interesting. I looked up San Diablo. It's a fictional city in South America in Marvel. Specifically, oh, weird. Specifically in Thor comics. Which I thought was really interesting because none of these are Marvel properties, but San Diablo does appear in the Thor comics as a fictional South American city. 
Interesting, right? Maybe that's like a little sly nod right. for people who are paying attention back in 1998 because they didn't have Wikipedia. <laughs> Dance tells the skinheads to use the spell of passage. Batman and Hellboy decide to split up. Hellboy on the magic stuff and Batman after the plane. Okay, hold on. Batman getting the plane. This I found that I had to put it down because I was laughing so hard. He throws his batarang boomerang rope thing and catches a moving plane. Yes, he catches the wheel of the plane. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, you saw that like in the old school, you know, Batman stuff because he always threw it because they didn't introduce the grappling gun until 89 Batman movie. Right. And so this is definitely very, um, you know, Mignola's definitely inspired, you know, influenced by the older classic Batman. You know, before he, you know, had that scene that it just, it just made me laugh. And then <laughs> all I could think of from the rest of this point on was the Adam West Batman. Right. Well, actually, James Robinson wrote it. So I wonder if that was James Robinson's decision or Mignola's decision to make the Batarang not the grappling gun. You know what I mean? It could be either one, but I, I kind of feel like and, Mignola and, and is also, also how do you school. And also, how do you know he doesn't have like a targeting system in his cow to help him like throw it like perfectly to catch the... How do you know Aubrey's right. Batman? He's prepared for everything. It's just not <laughs> that, realistic. That's just not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I didn't, World's I didn't, greatest detective. I didn't say that he didn't. I just said I found it hilarious. <laughs> I'm just giving you uh, shit, man. Oh, I know. <laughs> but, uh, but I do love this as Batman gets pulled into the air by the plane, and then one of the Nazis jumps out and tackles him and makes him lose the line, right? Yeah. But I do love this bottom panel where Batman's like landing with the guy and his cape is like going up. It's just really dynamically drawn. I love that. On the airfield in the plane hangar, we see the skinheads, and they're trying to perform some magic ceremony. They talked earlier about the spell of passage. And so Hellboy jumps up, and he kicks this one guy in the head. I really like that. Just, there's so many mo- there's Just like you said, Arby, there's so many moments in this where I just kind of laugh to Kicking myself. Kicking Nazis in the head. Fuck yeah. But he gets there a little too late, because one of the skinheads, he's able to do this spell of passage. So he stabs himself, and when he does... It looks like he creates some sort of portal and everything starts getting sucked into him, right? Is that what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Kind of. It looks like he opened the portal the in himself. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is really cool. All the stuff starts, starts getting sucked away and everything's like flying around. And so Hellboy's like, Batman, grab a hold of something, anything. And so uh, Hellboy, he tries to grip the ground with the right hand of doom, but he's getting sucked away into the portal also. Batman throws the battering and grabs onto this pole, and then just as Hellboy's going to slip away, there's this bottom panel where Batman grabs him, and there's like those little five little motion lines as they like grip hands or whatever. I love that panel. Oh yeah, it's a great panel. Aubrey's right though. That's a pretty impressive batarang. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's doing a lot of work. Man. Yeah. World's greatest detective, Matt. I already said it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's got like little claws in it, and when he throws it, it like sure oh, has yeah. these little spikes that go. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, no. See, what it does is it wraps around really good, and then locks into place. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so this is really great, and and so the pacing is really good, too, also, as Batman and Hellboy are kind of, like, waiting out this storm, and then as the portal closes, it's a giant swastika. (laughs) I mean, bad news. Oh, it's so bad. It's so hilarious. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's what makes this thing so great, because it's so ridiculous. Right, those little touches like that, and so, but, but they didn't get sucked in there, and so they're left standing there. 
It, it's almost like this is a cartoon that simultaneously exists in both Batman and Hellboy's world. Sure. And like Hellboy, Hellboy's watching it in his world and going, huh, I would love to meet Batman. And Batman's <laughs> watching it in his world and he goes, who the hell is Hellboy? <laughs> <laughs> 15 minutes later at 104 miles per hour. Hellboy's in the Batmobile with Batman. <laughs> There's so yeah. many awesome. moments where I'm just like, oh my god, this is great. <laughs> and so they start making a plan to get Ted Knight. Batman mentions his friend Bruce Wayne and how he can get them a really fast plane. As long as nothing else gets in our way, Hellboy says. Nothing will, Batman responds. Oh yeah, Hellboy says, and we see the bat signal over Gotham City. We cut over to the GCPD rooftop. And Gordon's there telling Batman that the Joker has started his crime wave. They knew he was planning something. He's threatened the children of Gotham's wealthiest businessmen. So Batman has to attend to this. Hellboy hopes one hero will be enough against the Nazis. It won't be just one hero, a voice says. I'm coming too. And then so here's Jack Knight, the star man, coming down on his cosmic rod. Nice. <laughs> What you got a problem with cosmic rod, Aubrey? This is the this is technically the cosmic staff. Ah, cosmic staff. Okay. Do you have a problem with the cosmic rod? Better, no less phallic. (laughs) I do like this effect as he flies down, though. It like makes like kind of like an arrow, or you kind of get an idea of how he's able to travel around with that thing. And I love this back cover too. The back cover has the three of them drawn by Mignola. Chapter 2, so on this Chapter 2, we have a cover by Tony Harris, and he does a great, like, Mignola cover, because a lot of Mignola's covers are kind of like this, and it kind of looks like he's adopting some of that style for this one. Another thing I think is interesting to point out is this uh, Jack Knight version of Starman wears these goggles on his head. Yeah. And so it kind of lines up with Hellboy having those horn stubs. You know what I mean? It kind of like, they both have the two circles on their forehead, which is really interesting. I thought that was a nice touch. Well, everyone thought the horns were goggles. At first, yeah, they did, Yeah. yeah. We open on Batman getting a plane for Hellboy and Jack Knight. I said I could get you a plane, Batman says. Nice, Bats. My only fear is traveling like this. I may never be able to go back to standby economy, Jack Knight says. Is that a joke, Batman says? Hey, man, if I don't try for some levity here with my dad kidnapped and all, I'll go to pieces. Batman's like, wait a minute. Was that a joke? We don't joke in Gotham City. (laughs) Jokes are banned because of the Joker. (laughs) You know, he wishes Hellboy... And Jack Knight, good luck. And Hellboy's like, thanks, good luck with your thing. Oh, I know what lies ahead for me, Batman says. We're old friends. And he turns around and he walks towards the Batmobile. That guy needs a vacation, Hellboy says. Tell me about it, Jack Knight says. <laughs> I so <love> that. cool. <laughs> On the plane, Jack Knight and Hellboy talk. They try and figure out what the Nazis want with Ted Knight. Jack says, Ted fought the fifth columnists and Nazis during the war. Nice. In World War II, the term fifth column was commonly used to warn of potential sedition and disloyalty within the borders of the United States. Hellboy asks if Jack can think of a metaphysical angle to his father's work. Metaphysical, Jack says, my dad fought crime alongside the Spectre and Dr. Fate, yet still denies the existence of an afterlife. Plus, he met a demon once, and there are things like you running around, no offense. None taken, Hellboy says. Yet he still says there's nothing metaphysical to life. Then it's a mystery, Hellboy says. And Jack also asks about the Nazi leader. 
Hellboy says that he's asked the BPRD to get some information on that guy. Hellboy tells Jack to get some sleep till they get to South America. What about you? Me? I don't sleep much, Hellboy says. And we just cut to him sitting there in the plane. I like those little panels there at the bottom. That's really nice. The design and the layout is beautiful, but then you got to think about, okay, so he's not going to sleep on this plane. This is not going to be a short flight. He's just going to sit there the whole time. He's going to be bored. Right. <laughs> Get him a movie or a book or something. Well, when he wakes up Jack, he has some information from the BPRD, so maybe he's doing some research behind the scenes, or he's just waiting for them to send him the stuff or whatever. Yeah. When they arrive, Hellboy wakes Jack and gives him the info that he learned about the Nazi leader. Otto Dance, son of Ludwig Dance, dad's a war criminal, with a list of charges too long and horrible to go into now. It appears his boy's a chip off the old block. I'd like to chip his block, Jack Knight says. Nice. And who exactly are the Knights of October? And Hellboy's like, have you heard of the Knights Templar? But right as he's about to tell him, they get a warning that they're over the drop zone area. But I did want to mention that the Knights Templar were a Catholic military order founded in... 1119 and active until 1312, the Knights Templar have become associated with legends concerning secrets and mysteries handed down to select people from ancient times. Rumors circulated even during the time of the Templars themselves. Hellboy asks Knight if he knows how to use a parachute, and Knight says he doesn't need one as he puts on his Starman costume. The Cosmic Rod can get us both down safely. See, he calls it a Cosmic Rod there. So, you sure? They broke their own lore. Oh, yeah. You sure, Hellboy ass? I'm sick of jumping out of planes and things not going right and me falling all the way down. That won't happen, buddy, Jack Knight says. Not tonight. And of course, I immediately thought of uh, the jetpack exploding. Right, Right. exactly. (laughs) And that had happened in Wake the Devil, which had just come out before this, right? And so we cut to them descending, and I'm just really enjoying the art here. It's just, at this point in the book, I'm just like, man, this is just so much fun. And Hellboy's like, that's a pretty impressive talent you have there. And he's like, it's not talent, it's science, right? It's my dad's science. And he's like, but can you take us all the way down? Yeah, as long as nothing. And when Starman turns to look at Hellboy, I like how he can see Hellboy in the goggles. That's a really cool little detail there. Yeah, we got a G's here. Yeah, Hellboy yells G's as they get blasted out of the sky by this green beam. What is Starman saying? Carumba. <laughs> oh, like I Carumba. Yeah. How is that the first thing you go to? Right. I wonder. And if, not fuck. I wonder if maybe that was one of the things that he said in the Starman comic. Did you have you read that run, Matt? Not since it originally came out. Do you remember that he says? Karumba? I can't remember. Okay. Like you're getting blasted remember. out of the sky by weird Nazi energy, and you're falling, <laughs> and you. The first thing you say is eat my shorts. Like, is that really <laughs> realistic? There, come on. I'd be like, "Ah." and so Hellboy and Starman fall for a little bit, but then he's able to catch them again. I really like that panel as he like swoops up and catches them and Hellboy's got like a just an exclamation point in the word bubble. Sorry about that. If I'd known there'd be turbulence, I would have suggested assuming the position crash position. I meant to say Starman says as they trek through the jungle, Hellboy says that blast of green energy was more than what could have come from a human, which concerns Starman. And they see some people in the distance. I bet it's a Nazi search party, Hellboy says. And so suddenly they get bombarded with all this gunfire. 
Yeah, it's Nazis, Hellboy says. <laughs> um, but that panel was so cool with all the gunfire going past them and Hellboy's like deflecting it with the right hand of doom. I was like, well, like he's not really deflecting it, it just kind of bounces off. Oh yeah, off. it just yeah. bounces off, right? And when they run out of bullets, Hellboy's mad. And along with Starman, they wreck these guys. There's a great splash page as they just, like, collide with them. Fantastic panel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As they fight, Hellboy realizes that they have night vision goggles. It will make them sensitive to... I'm way ahead of you, Starman says, and he releases this bright flash that knocks back all the Nazis. Just one of those great Mignola panels with the very minimal, you know, explosion lines and all the shadow in the background. Right, yeah. Those lines are so good, though. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that did the trick, Starman says... Yeah, it's fun beating up Nazis, Hellboy says. It, it sure really is. is. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag fun beating up Nazis. It's <laughs> a hashtag everyone. for the episode, guys. Punch a Nazi. They tie them up except for one that Hellboy has slung over his shoulder. I'm going to keep this one for a while, he says. Get things we need. Answers and directions. And so we see this one giant splash panel at the bottom of the Nazi compound in the mountain. And so we focus in on it. There's like this one kind of gun-looking laser thing, and then there's another one that's kind of a laser pointed down into the ground, into this hole, and it's like that green kind of light that the Nazis have been using in the story. It's like the one that's pointing down is like a microscope. Yeah. And the other one, or, you know, kind of like a giant microscope that's focusing, and the other one is just like, hey, we're going to use a laser cannon. Yes, exactly. And I love how it's like built into the mountain, and it's kind of like they found an existing town. They put up a couple of Nazi banners. Right. And then they started to build on top of that with all that technology. It's just kind of cool. Yeah. They And Mignola always does a good job with these like cityscape pieces. Nice. Homie, Starman says when he sees it. Hellboy interrogates the Nazi that he kept. At first, the guy doesn't want to talk, but Hellboy puts the intimidation on. The guy confirms that they're Knights of October. They're kind of the German equivalent of the Knights of Malta or the Templars after the First World War. They swore they'd make Germany great again and win the next war, Hellboy says. Nothing like planning ahead. Knights. So were they all about that Teutonic hooey, Starman asks? Teutonic means denoting the Germanic branch of the Indo-European language family. And like Hellboy says, a lot of that became the ideals of the Nazi party. And this skinhead's offended by them calling it hooey, right? He's like, the ideals are golden. <laughs> he says, they're what drive the Knights of October. Here we go, Starman says. And I really I really like that line because that's like what Hellboy says. Yeah. Whenever someone starts going crazy, like, Hellboy's right. like, all right, here we go. The skinhead says, they mock him, but they're going to bring the Fuhrer's grand design upon the world by raising an elder god. And there's like a cool tentacle panel there, kind of mood shot. Elder god... As in Lovecraft, Elder God, Starman asks. Yeah, it's not as weird as it sounds, Hellboy responds. Lovecraft knew some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what well, is like how with the Nazis, like, we're going to bring it up, you know, the Fuhrer's grand dream to the world. And he and Starman's like, yeah, how are you going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> right. How are you going to raise it? And which one, Hellboy asks. And Starman's like, which one? And so they mention Suger Yagaroth. He came to Earth many eons ago. It took the might of the Lemurians to defeat him, although the conflict cost them their island paradise. And where does my dad come into all this, Starman asks. Your father? Ted Knight, the scientist you kidnapped, Hellboy says. The Nazi says the old man knows the stars. He has devices that can draw energy from them. 
We need him to reconfigure one such device to draw energy from a particular star. It's the home light of Sugar Yagaroth. The power from this will revive him. Every time you say that, I think you're going to say Sigur Ross. Same, same here. <laughs> and, Sigur Ross, the elder god. Yeah. <laughs> and then so that microscope looking thing that we were talking about earlier is like going to transport it instantly there. So it doesn't have to like travel all through space. And they also mentioned that they drugged Ted Knight to do their bidding because Starman's like, my dad would never work on any of that. We've been siphoning the great Sugar Yuggeros powers even as he returns to us. How do you think we were able to fire up into the sky? And he points to that cannon. Yes, that could fend off an entire army. And look, the god grows. And from under that microscope looking green light, we see the tentacles coming out. So that's like the elder god thing. Whoa, he's a big boy, Starman says. And many-sided, the Nazi says. Now, that was from Lovecraft, Starman says. Don't be trying to impress me with watered-down HP. (laughs) (laughs) And Hellboy's like, yeah, you're giving me a headache. And he just clonks the guy, knocking him out with the right hand of doom. I love that little panel right there. Starman's like, now what? We attack and get your father out, Hellboy says. Then we stop that thing from getting any bigger. Attack? You got a plan, Starman asks? Nope. Hellboy says, just asking. (laughs) Great little character moments between these two. And so this is a great page as Starman leads the ambush against these Nazis. Mignola's panel layouts have been really stellar on this. I love this panel with all them shooting up. And then like you also see the guys that are shooting the lightning too. Yeah, it's like you got all these guns and one guy pointing like two of his fingers. Right, yeah. When I was reading this, I was thinking about how Mignola always dogs himself as not being able to do traditional comics, but I think he's doing an awesome job here. Not that, like, I want traditional comics out of Mignola, but I think, like, he can definitely do it. Oh, yeah. Um, As Starman is fighting, he mentions Opal City. Opal City is a fictional city set in the DC Universe, created by James Robinson and Tony Harris. Opal City first appeared in Starman Volume 2, Number 0, in 1994. Inside the Nazi compound, they tell their leader, Dance, that they're under attack. And he tells them to continue to hold off Starman until the Elder God is fully formed. Dance is going to deal with Ted Knight, and he holds a gun up to his head. This is for the future and the past, and every one of my brethren you have defeated back then. Yeah, those were the good old days. Hellboy pops up through the floor, breaking through. I saw you in Gotham. You're the monster, Dan ass. Yeah, look who's talking, Nazi son of a... And Hellboy just knocks Dance out and escapes with Ted Knight. I love that, right? He's like, you're the monster. Hellboy calls for Starman, telling him that he's got his dad. And the Nazis try and attack. But Starman helps Hellboy and Ted Knight escape. And all this work is just amazing. I mean, it is so good. We cut to later in the jungle... They try and wake up Ted Knight, but he's unresponsive. But Batman has some antitoxin in his utility belt. I mean, Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that he has like a syringe on. Him. Come on. I mean, yeah. That's, that's Where's the Nazi repellent? You yeah. know. <laughs> and I like this panel as they revive Ted Knight. So it's like the same panel twice, but on the first one. There's no word bubble, and on the second one, he says son, so he's waking up. But I want to say Mignola's done that a couple times in other stories, where it's the same panel twice, but in one, someone says something that's different or something. It's just something about the pacing of that that I really enjoy. 
And it's not exactly the uh, same one. If you look at his hair, it's a slightly different. Oh, yeah, spots. yeah, you're right. So at least it's nice that he drew it second time instead of cut and paste like you, Rob. Like yeah, you can tell little details <laughs> like the, the collarbone line. Right, right. Like, uh, you can tell. And the, the texture in the glasses. And like Aubrey yeah. said, you can tell that it was yeah. drawn. Each separate panel was drawn yeah. out. And that's actually such a huge compliment to the consistency of sure, the artist right, as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Because on first glance, that looks the same. But then when you when you kind of look a little closer, you can touch just little things when you right, yeah, right, look yeah. very closely. And you so, know, uh, oh, this iguana shot. Did you ever read Doonesbury, the comic strip by Gary Trudeau? Yeah. No, yeah. I did not. He would do that a lot where the backgrounds are the exact same. But like, let's say there's a loaf of bread in the background. Like on the final panel, it's sliced. Oh, you know, or okay. <laughs> or like there's something subtly different about right, it. Right, right. I still like that. Yeah, and so Ted Knight wakes up and Jack Knight, Starman, hugs him. There you go, Hellboy says. There you go. The three of them talk and they try and make a plan. So you're aware you built a device to jumpstart an Elder God, Hellboy asks? I'm not so sure I agree with your terminology, Ted Knight says, but yes, it's some sort of monster. And so Hellboy's like, is there any insight on how we can weaken it? And so Ted Knight says he couldn't talk when he was under their control, but he noticed they were using the wrong wire gauge for their devices. And so he thinks that if Jack Knight, Starman, can blast the device, he could overload the device's power core. This is all very, like, 90s, too, yeah, right? Super like, good. Uh, the, the plan here. I love all that. Well, I mean, I like the fact that, I mean, like, using the wrong gauge of wire will cause your thing to sure, sure. Right, yeah. It's a logical reason, right? And I, and I love how they just... That's that's it. I mean, I love it. It's it's great. Yeah. So simple. Hellboy te- tells Starman, that's a big boy up there. I'm not afraid, Starman says. Then you're not as smart as you look, Hellboy says. Whoa. I've got an old prayer that c- might send the thing back where it came from. You were saying we attack the god first before we attack the device powering it? No, Hellboy says. I'm saying you attack the creature, weaken it, while I run interference. And so we cut over to them actually doing the plan. So I like this. There's like this narration going along with it while we actually see them doing it. I think it paces this scene really well. Right. And so that's always a good trip. Yeah. Even it, yeah. I mean, movies do that a lot. Yeah, I was going to say so, they did yeah. it a lot in the 90s, I felt like. I think they, they do it still. I yeah. see a lot of movies doing that, yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cool trope. Yeah, it's a little... It's a good vehicle. And we see Starman, he's attacking the cannon that has the tentacles growing out of it, and Hellboy's down below, he's like unplugging stuff, and so Starman is attacking the cannon, and Hellboy's fighting the Nazis. So yeah, we get some great panels as Hellboy is here fighting off the Nazis, they're shooting the lightning at him and everything. As the building is crumbling and they're destroying everything, he says, you guys need Bob Vila. Well, he's, like, <laughs> well, he's like, we need him dead. Open fire. No. You guys need Bob Vila. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. And so Bob Vila is a reference to, what was that show called? This, this Old, Old House. House. Yeah, and it was like a home improvement show. I used to watch that with my grandpa. More than just a home improvement show. It was like a PBS, so it's more right an actual really rebuilding homes kind right, of show. Right, yeah. And so their plan is they're going to switch, right? Hellboy says, and then I'll call out to you and we'll swap roles. And so he tells Starman now, and then Starman comes down and starts fighting the Nazis, and Hellboy goes up to where the monster is. Starman's like, one question, why don't I do the rights, seeing as I'm already going to be fighting the monster? And Hellboy's like, can you speak Lemurian? 
Uh, and Hellboy's like, exactly. So it has to be Hellboy that does it because he can speak that language. And we see he has like a little amulet too or medallion that he's holding as he's saying this prayer. I like on the next page, we get like this two really tall panels and then we get a detailed shot of that amulet. Yeah, it's really great. So as Hellboy is saying this prayer or whatever and holding the amulet, we see the everything starting to like fall apart, and it's you can tell that it's affecting this elder god Sugar Yoggeroth or whatever. I also like how the prayer is written on a piece of paper. He doesn't like know it from he has yeah, to read yeah. it right. Yeah. This is really interesting. So you know, I I want to research all this stuff, and I was trying to see if this had any reference to any anything. And so I found this thing called Ancient Lemurian Prayer. It's written by Alan Mackey, and it says. Despite its generic title, this ancient Lemurian prayer was, according to some esoteric scholars, actually quite important to the history and destruction of Lemuria. It's a powerful warning against the weakest of the Elder Gods. By one account, the very same prayer worked against the lesser old one called Sugar Yuggeroth. Oh, wow. And then it has the prayer, and it's this exact same shit that Hellboy is saying. No kidding. Wow. That's cool. And so I was like, who is this guy, Alan Mackey? So I found him on this website called Scribd. So I don't know if, like, this is stuff that he writes on his own, but on his bio, it says, I am a Native American Cthulhu mythos writer and UFOologist. Okay. Yeah, and so he's written a lot of different stuff on the Cthulhu mythos on this website, Scribd. And I was kind of looking through it, and there's a lot of Lovecraftian arcana on here, which is really interesting. And so I'm wondering, like, is this actual stuff that James Robinson or Mignola researched? Or did Alan Mackey write this stuff after this came out? Or... You know what I mean? Because he mentions Lemuria, yeah. Sugar Yuggeroth, and the exact prayer that Hellboy's using. So it's kind of like, I'm wondering which came first, or right. did he put all these pieces together, or is this really based in something historical? Or I don't know. I couldn't find any other reference other than this scribbed page for Alan Mackey. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting. But in his thing, he's like, on one account, it was used for Sugar Yuggeroth. So for that one account, is he talking about this? This would be that one account, oh, okay. right? That's what I was thinking. He's trying to tie that in. I think it's kind of clever. He's tying that in. There. Uh, well, I don't know if he's tying it in or if it is some real Lemurian thing. Yeah, that... I feel like they all got it from a different, from a third source. Right. Something that we don't know about. Source, I couldn't find yeah. it, though. So if anyone has any information on that, I'd love to know more. That's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, but like Danielle mentioned, there was a nice little focus in on this uh, medallion that Hellboy has. And it has a very cool Mignola-esque design, of course. And so the monster is all starting to come apart, and the art is just amazing. There's a whole color shift here with all the Kirby crackle and everything. And so Hellboy's like, I think it's working, Jack. I'm done. So they're like, ditto on my end. It's time to go. They both say it at the same time. I love that. And they see Otto dance there. And he's like, damn you. We will win. My people, the Knights of October, for we are strong. You don't look strong, Hellboy says. One day we will see the Fuhrer's dream in all its... And then everything blows up, right? Yeah, eat shit. (laughs) And we see uh, Starman escaping with Hellboy. He's a toilet man. Blow him up. In the aftermath, we see Hellboy, Starman, and Ted Knight. So we did it. Save Dad. Save the world. It's not even morning, Starman says. Now all we need is a way to get out of here, Hellboy says. Wait, look, Ted Knight says. It's Batman. So they see the Batman ship coming up. Nice. 
Guess he had a good night too, Hellboy says. The end. Right on. Yeah, that was so That's cool. So yeah, I thought that was interesting how they laid it out because it's like issue one is Hellboy Batman and then issue two is Hellboy Starman. You know what I mean? Batman's not really an issue two right. except for at the beginning and, the, and at the end. I thought it was interesting too how they don't explain what happened with the Joker and Batman. Like we, we know that yeah. story already. You know what I mean? We've, yeah, we've, it's we've just heard the that intro. so many times. Little, so it's the cold open. We don't have yeah. to. We can assume that. The Joker's in Arkham Asylum until he breaks out again, and now Batman can finally come help Hellboy and Starman, right? <laughs> so if, this is drastic, but if Manola said, all right, I'm, I'm leaving Hellboy, I'm never going to do Hellboy again, I'm just going to put out a monthly Batman comic for the rest of my days, I would be cool with that. Yeah, be, uh, yeah. Be oh that. yeah, definitely, I would be There's totally happy with that. plenty of people who could do Hellboy and it'd be fine, but... I don't really care about Batman unless it's the right artist. Sure, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would be sensational. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and 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 I really loved reading this. And as I was writing my notes, and I'm writing the Joker and Gotham City, and all, and I'm just like, what, <laughs> what am, am I, I reading yeah. here? What yeah. are we even talking about this week? It was so much fun to go through this stuff, and it was so great to get some all Mignola art. Like that, that's rare. That was nice these yeah. days, and then yeah. to get full two issues with not only Hellboy but with these other DC characters just really cool and um i thought this would be fun you know it's outside of the reading order it's considered non-canonical but i thought it'd be fun as part of our halloween stuff you know yeah. batman is kind of halloween related i guess oh yeah and, you know yeah. i just thought it would be a cool thing to do and yeah these issues were so great well it was also nice because you know i mean like in the main story everything is so heavy yeah <laughs> and so it was nice yeah. to have a, a nice to have a little bit of um i don't know i mean just like a break look like, like a comic book. it was just like literally like watching a, reading a cartoon yeah, exactly it, it, it was it was great <laughs> i mean it, it really was it was fun all the way through yeah i'm glad you all enjoyed it next week we'll be back on track with our more serious stuff with abe sapien again right we're gonna take a little bit of a turn but it'll still be all good that abe sapien stuff is really ramping up to some a really nice ending which i like so we'll get more into that next week that abe sapien stuff is pretty epic oh yeah yeah we got some good stuff coming that yeah yeah all right, and so we'll get to that stuff next week, and I can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback on our Halloween episode, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the listener feedback either, so why don't you uh, share us your thoughts on Hellboy Masks and Monsters. You can send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Contact us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link in the reading order in our Facebook About section. Always a special thanks to Paul from Garterhan for the amazing music. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Book Club member. Book Club member. <laughs> Thank you to Mark Tweedell for helping uh, John with the reading order Thank and all Mark. the stuff he does. And be sure to check out our friends over at Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. Thank what you for all the creators group. that depict people beating the shit out of nazis and blowing them up yes thanks for that thank you for beating up nazis uh thank you to john for all the work that he does he puts in so much time and effort on this yeah i mean all i do is just show up (laughs) you have to drive a really long way though well yeah friendship you can find the podcast on podbean apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast from Next week, we are going back to Abe Sapien and reading The Black School, Regression, and Dark and Terrible Deep. So, you know what to do. 
pull out your wetsuits and jump into the ocean to go <laughs> deep with Abe Sapien and pull out them back issues and digitals. We can get back to digital this time around. And join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackpine. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, that was some investigation. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha